Welcome to The Dark Corner. Presented by Gentleman's Grindhouse Records. Hold me closer for this last moment Until you like his hand when the shadows take over everybody and welcome to background noise cast yeah well guess what it's 102 fucking degrees outside celsius no not okay. celsius we'd all be dead <laughs> yeah that's boiling point we isn't would it? all be dead yes we, would, we our blood would be boiling in our bodies it's disgusting i guess is it something like 38 degrees yeah about celsius, that something like that well you know what we could find out oh yeah you got a converter don't you i do have yeah, a that or you can just google it that too yeah the waveform is saying dudes Noise. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. And the last one had some background. 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 Backgrounds. What is a background? I don't know. It's something the Membari have, I think. <laughs> background noise. Yeah, previous episode, there was kind of a weird metallic scraping. I think that was the air conditioner. <laughs> This time, the fans directed at us, so that's going to be a bit of a sound issue, but then it's better than recording in sweltering heat. The converter, you know, calculates to, like, four decimal points, so let's just call it 39. So that's close. 39 Celsius. That's pretty good for just taking a stab. It's 38.8889, and if you just keep rounding up, it's it's 39. Yeah, because you know? I was thinking, it's either somewhere between 38 and 40, and I went to the low scale, just to be conservative. Honestly, I don't get why we use Fahrenheit, because it makes zero amount of sense. Because Americans hate the metric system. It has nothing to do with the metric system. Well, it's zero's freezing point. A hundred is boiling point. Of water. Right. And so that just seems to be a nice metric scale for Yeah, but it has nothing to do with the metric system. Ah, right. Because metric a, is, is distance. Yes. Or volume. And Yeah, those. Temperature is a totally different thing. Yeah, but still it's it's in the scale from zero to hundred on a specific point of the freezing and boiling. Okay, your point is invalid because the UK still uses the imperial system, feet and and miles and right. stuff, but they use Celsius. Yes. So it has nothing to do with the metric system. Yes. It is just stupid that we still use it Fahrenheit. It's just stupid. Cuz metric means meter, which in itself is Oh my god, please just no. Kind of an just arbitrary stop. Just stop. Distance. Please no. No. So is a foot, really. No. No, yeah. I don't want to talk about measurements. Well, okay, I do, but okay, we'll move on. Okay, go ahead. Talk about <laughs> no, measurements. No, I was just saying that it's just funny that a lot of measurements are just arbitrary, like hands of a horse. It's like, well, it depends on whose hands it is. Well, if you think about it, everything is arbitrary. Yes. Why do we call this a sofa? Why is this my arm? Because somebody <laughs> called it that and it's stuck. It's all arbitrary. I guess atomic weight would be the only thing that isn't. Yes, but the words atomic weight are arbitrary. Yes. Adam, based on the ancient Greek model of the indivisible thing. But then we found out that we can split an atom, and so an atom's not really an atom. Because it's made up of subatomic particles, which in turn are made up of quarks. Anyway, you know what you can't do? You can't split quarks. 
Yeah, because they create new quarks if you try to. Mm-hmm. If you try to separate them, they'll just generate another partner. Well, I guess technically that means you can separate them, but they won't remain separated. They'll just generate another. Basically, you're multiplying them instead of dividing right. them. Right. It's like being an amoeba or something. You get split and you become multiples. I want that to be my mutant put par- my mutant power, and I'll be called the quark. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a good one. It's also like that weird demon in Hellboy, mm. where every time I kill one, two Dude, take its place. Like a hydra, cut yes. off one head, two shall take its place. Hell hydra. Sorry, Hell um, hydra. Speaking of the Republican National Committee. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Political humor. Mm. Uh, it's the end of days. It really is. It really is. <laughs> my boss said to me, sorry, I got frosting on my shirt. We had donuts. They were delicious. Yes. Our uh, Smith's food chain grocery store has some really gooey, yummy glazed donuts. There are a dozen for like four bucks, and today they were on sale for three bucks. Yeah, super sloppy, like your fingers are drenched in glaze. For 12 of them. Four for 12. Mm -hmm. It would be like the inverse for Krispy Kremes. (laughs) I'm just kidding. They're not that much. And Krispy Kremes are good, but something about these is just they're decadent. They're dirty. They're dirty donuts. Dirty donuts. Oh, those dirty donuts. It's like getting dirty chicken. It's like dirty donuts. Dirty donuts. The thing is, they're the best ones. Nobody has donuts. You know, grocery store donuts as good as Smith's. They're the best. Need another syllable in donuts to do a Dirty Diana parody of Dirty Donuts. Dirty glazed donuts. There it goes. Kind of, sort of. Mm. Yeah. We'll fi- we'll work on that. We'll work on that. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll make it work. We'll we'll brainstorm. We'll do some clustering and we'll figure it out. Workshopping it. <laughs> Put a button on it. Um. <laughs> and so begins the show. I'm so tired. Obsessions. Do you hear this breath? It's an obsessive breath. Can you feel this beat? It's an obsessive heartbeat, waiting to be joined with its obsession. We have Calvin Klein. I'm sorry, I I missed my cue. Obsession. By Calvin Klein. There you go. Mm -hmm. We do. We uh, we decided that we were going to have the same one this week because it is, and we'll probably go back to it after this. Yes. It is a super new obsession, um, as in we became obsessed with it yesterday. As often as I listen to podcasts, I've heard CISO talked about a lot. Yes, especially, especially on, by Paul F. Yeah, Tompkins. Paul so. F. Tompkins and Matt Besser. Yeah. Because that's a major sponsor for uh, Improv for Humans. And it's a comedy streaming site. And it has a lot of exclusives on there, mm-hmm. which includes... Harmon Quest. Harmon Quest. Dan Harmon, creator of Community. And other things. And other things, but I think that's the one that's he's the one mostly he's known for. Really well known and for, his yeah. own deal, Harmon Town. Mm-hmm. And this is he, his uh, lovely romantic partner. Aaron. Aaron. Uh, Jeff Davis. Of whose like, line? Premier improviser, longtime improviser. I think he's brilliant. I love him. Yeah, he's one of our favorite of the Who's Line crowd. Yes. And he's a sharp dresser, which is yes. always nice. Mm-hmm. And then they have a guest star. Each week. And then there's, what, Stephen, his name is, I think? The uh, Spencer. Spencer. They knew it was a nest name. Spencer, Spencer Crittenden, is it? Yeah. Yeah, he's the game master. Yeah, they play D&D before a live studio audience that It's seems... not really D&D. Shh. Don't oh, call yes. it D&D. Well, the 
Dice system of original D&D is public domain now, I think. Oh, all right. I think they call it the 20D system. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, using the 20-sided dice. Though I think Dungeons & Dragons is on the 5th edition now. And it's very different than before. But yeah, the old school thing. And I think that's kind of how Knights of the Old Republic got away with using that system. Mm-hmm. They basically ripped off the old 20D system of D&D for their game dynamic. This is a situation where not everybody has dice. Only Spencer has dice. Yep, and that's and old school role playing yeah. when the so he, DM he, does all the rolling. So he does all the rolling, but everybody, you know, has... Their character sheets yep. and what they have available to them, etc. And so they say what they want to do, and then Spencer tells them if they succeed or not. And he's written a very intricate story for this particular quest that is going to last 11 episodes. Yep. And I can't wait for season two already. I had seen commercials. Well, I hadn't seen commercials. But yeah, I kind of saw a little bit of a commercial for it, but not really. It was more like a... A little quick thing that somebody had posted on Twitter, you know, about CISO. And I'm like, okay, 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 we're just going to get CISO. Thankfully, they've now partnered with Amazon. And so you can actually get it. Uh, if you have an Amazon Prime membership, you can you can get an add-on subscription to right. CISO, which is $4 a month. Good Lord, I waste $4 a month. And it's got Money Python. It's got Every Kids episode. in the Hall. It's got a little bit of Saturday Night Live. It's got the, the UCB, UCB show. Get show, yeah. Just tons of stuff. Um, late night comedy specials, they'll uh, be on there the next day, stuff like that. The biggest complaint that I have heard about CISO is the interface of the website and the app. Right. So having it through Amazon is much easier. Yeah. Because you can just add stuff to the watch list. So it's like, oh, add this series to the watch list. Oop, add that series to the watch list. Oop. Add that to the watch list. So, and you can watch it on any device that you can watch Amazon video on, which is all the devices. Your iPads, iPad, your Kindle, PlayStation 4. Mm, yep, my PlayStation 4, because there's not a CISO app for the PlayStation yet. There's one for Xbox One, uh -huh. but not for the PS4. I know they're working on it, but I don't care because I have it through Amazon Video and I don't have to get a separate app for that. Right. And I think it's brilliant. It's already paid off. It's it's worth it just for Harmon Quest. Yep. And there's other things that we'll be wanting to watch in future. So, yeah. Absolutely. And the odd thing about Jeff Davis and Harmon Quest is it seems to be filming on the Whose Line Is It Anyway set. I'm Absolutely certain that it is that. Yeah, because they have that stadium-style seating arrangement. Mm -hmm. They've got the small black box theater stage. Mm -hmm. It's very carpeted, and they've got kind of the purpley lights. It yeah. just feels like the Who's Line stage. It probably is. Of course, it can be made to look different depending on what lights you use. But basically, it's just all black. And There's they have, no set yeah. pieces or anything <laughs> except for the big table they're at and all the nerd snacks. Yeah, they have a dining drinks. room table, which Very is long one. perfect for role-playing because they're all sat... Well, the Game Master's sat on one end and the rest are against the side facing the audience, you know? Yes. So you have four people in a row and then the Game Master at the very end. And they have all the snacks out in front, the like snacks. the cheese puffs and bags of chips. You've never really seen them, see them eat. I see them drink. Yep. But, yeah, they have little solo cups. Oh, yeah. They gotta have... The, they're not little solo cups. Oh, yeah, they're the big solo the big cups, solo aren't they? Cups. The big red solo cups. Yep. But probably the most fascinating and entertaining part is the fact that after they have recorded this, 
Somebody goes and animates it. Mm-hmm. It animates the quest part of it. Now, granted, it will switch between the animation and the actual live people, but it is fucking brilliant. And it reminds me of the Mad Magazine guy that did Drew, mm-hmm. the barbarian. It's that kind of style a little bit. It's very cartoony, and it just works really well. The celebrity guests that they get, I think of the, what, five episodes we've watched? We've watched five, right? Right. Right. Zero of them have any RPG experience, which is probably to their benefit because uh-huh. they will do the most entertaining stuff. They just take a stab out there and make decisions that veteran role players usually don't because oh, they, yeah. they're more familiar with the rules. Mm-hmm. And so, like Aubrey Plaza just making a potion out of nowhere or picking locks with a pair of glasses. Yep, and it worked. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're like, did that succeed? Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And she, like, came up with this whole plan while in a prison cell. Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, I need this, I need this, I need this. The characters that they are playing in the animation, they those characters are the races that they are, but yep. they look like the players. Yeah, Jeff Davis is a goblin, but he has Jeff Davis's sticky up hair. Yeah, of course, Dan Harmon has his beard and his His, his kind of buggy eyes. eyes. And uh, Erin has her uh, red hair and her blue eyes. No button nose. And when there was Paul F. Tompkins, he had, he was the first guest. And he had, his cartoon character had a little bow tie. Yeah, bow tie and the mustache and and the gap in the teeth. And the gap in the teeth and the hair. Yep. And so it was just, it's so entertaining. It is unbelievably entertaining. They, you know, because it is not television, they swear. They don't swear excessively. No. But they do swear, and when they do, it's usually quite funny. It brings me more joy than I can possibly describe in words. Yeah, I love it. It's fun. It's, and it's wonderful. Whenever they strike a successful hit or do a lot of damage, the crowd applauds. And yep. that's just so funny because it's like, it's just random die rolls, but the crowd really gets into it. Yeah, but like the last episode we watched where Jeff was just having his goblin bite everybody's face off. Yep. And he'd do like 17 points of damage every time and he was killing people. Yep, chewing off their jawbone. <laughs> oh God, it's it's great. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. I tweeted about it and I was retweeted by the Harmon Quest account on Twitter. Nice. So that was pretty fucking awesome as well. It's very difficult for me to express in words how happy and joyous it makes me feel. Yeah, I kind of want to be watching it still. Yes, I do. I, I'm upset that we had to stop <laughs> to record watching <laughs> it to record the podcast when there's six more episodes that we have not seen yet. Yep. We just started this last night, guys. And I had to work today yeah, or we would have been watching it all fucking day. Just about halfway through the series already. Yeah, because it's that good. And I think it's been quite successful because there are a lot of people tweeting about it. And well, people do love the Dan Harmon. Well, and it's just, it's a fantastic concept. I love it. It's very much like some of our stand-up comedian friends have been doing, is getting comedians together to play some D&D. Yep. But this is, uh, it's like super produced, so it's really nice. There's still a an element of the unexpected because it's not scripted. I mean, Spencer's the only person who's got a script. Yeah, he's the only one that knows the story. He's written the story. He's got his green notebook and he's got everything written down Doing the voices. 
And sometimes Spencer, as a, you know, as Spencer will appear in the scenes. Yeah, because whenever they ask a question of the game master <laughs> yeah. in animation, they turn to this guy in a plaid shirt with a beard. Is there a crack in the door? He says, yeah, yeah, there is. <laughs> okay, I'm going to peer through the crack. You see planks of wood. <laughs> okay, open the door. You do see, see planks, planks of wood. wood. Wow, there's planks all over the place. They really plank this place up. Well, you know, I hate when people like carpet their ship and they cover up the beautiful wood underneath. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, comic genius. So good. So good. And and the best part, I didn't mention this about CISO, is it's ad free. There are yep. no fucking ads on it. You pay for a service and you don't have to actually... Sit through ads, Hulu. Yeah, well, you get the Hulu paid subscription service and you still get ads? I don't think so. Mm-mm. Oh, no, you have to pay $4 more if you don't want ads on Hulu. Ugh. And that just pisses me. Yep. So I, those are your praises? Those, I, it's amazing, even if you know nothing about role-playing. But because we know a lot about role-playing, <laughs> it is amazing. Yep. All of uh, Jeff's... Sneak attacks, mm-hmm. like when he's on the, the masthead of the ship and yep. ties a rope and then does his little arrow flint and jump and slice. <laughs> or when he flanks the whole castle to get behind people, and it's like, well, that'll take you about five turns. I love the last one that we watched that had Aubrey Plaza because she just did the unexpected. I mean, right. she really had, she just did whatever the fuck she wanted, and I knew that's how it was going to be. And she shrank Jeff Davis's character. Yep. Well, she was just mean to him throughout. Yeah. Even it's though like, I automatically just, took a dislike to him. Yeah, he should have just been mean back, but that's not Jeff. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's not Jeff's character either. As the last episode ended, he uh, is shrunk and being carried around in Aaron's boobs. Yep. Because um, oh, she she's, she's a barbarian. Yes. She doesn't have pockets. Because <laughs> she said, so I'm going to put him in my pocket. It's like, well, you don't really have pockets. Yeah. And so, like, the animated character's looking around, then just tucks him in between <laughs> her boobs. Yep. Cecil was a whole thumbs up. Harmon Quest, I don't know how else to be more thumbs up about it. Well, with that, I think we can roll into some news and reviews. How about yourself? Okay. Sticking to the CISO point is that one big reason I wanted to get CISO was so I could see the Pistol Shrimps movie. What's his name? Spurlock? What's his first name? Morgan. Morgan Spurlock, who's known for the supersize me, mm-hmm. you know, the McDonald's thing he did a while back. But uh, he produced this documentary on the Pistol Shrimps basketball team, Municipal Ladies Basketball League team. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't had a ladies' league in, like, years until just one of the members decided to found this basketball team and got her friends involved. And, and now there's 26 teams. Yeah, there's 26, 26 teams. So that's a lot of women who wanted to play basketball. And as a documentary, you know, a lot of documentaries, you want them to have a narrative and something to deliver. And it took a while for me to realize what that was. But it was really that having a basketball league in L.A., it was a way for them to be authentic and real with one another because you're in the industry, you're dealing with, you know, auditions and managers and PR people and mm-hmm. modeling agencies, all these things that kind of remove you from personhood, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you're in show business. And so this is something that's not show business. It's out there on the court shooting hoops with mm-hmm. your friends. 
And there's something genuine about that. They learned how to work as a team, and they learned how to support each other. They learned that, oh, women don't have to be competitive with each other. They can be real with each other, just like everybody else on the planet. Yeah. Because they, they had everything from musicians to models to comedians to actresses. Um, one of them was a mom. Right. And brought her little girl to every game. That's Lights Out Jack. Yep. <laughs> and um, they all have great nicknames. Well, yeah, most of them have great nicknames. Most nickname, of them have nicknames, a nickname. But the best one is Hanma Boogie. Hanma Boogie. Hanma Boogie. Yep, that they had named after a line in the Star Wars Special Edition. <laughs> Which is such a stupid scene that should have been left on the cutting room floor <laughs> completely unnecessary why put that back in that was dumb well the um, player didn't like she was so new they didn't have a jersey for her yet yeah so they were gonna just name her just mm -hmm. something and that's the one that stuck yep and it's become a thing now where now anybody who's your best buddy is your your boogie you're my boogie you're my boogie, my boogie. hey my boogies hey my boogies <laughs> hey my boogies i got into this all through Matt Gorley and Mark McGonville as podcasters. Because mm. I kept hearing about this Pistol Shrimps radio show through Spontanea Nation. And yeah, well, because they had Amanda Lund yeah. and Maria Blasucci. Blasucci's the team captain. Yes, she is. Listening to this being uh, promoted, I was like, that's really interesting idea for a podcast because... Both Matt and Mark don't know that much about basketball, mm -hmm. <laughs> and neither do the players <laughs> when they first got involved. In fact, they were one of the suckiest teams. I think they were next always, to last place. Well, they were almost always either yeah. in last place or next to last. And the uh, documentary covers that early season where they just sucked terribly, and then when they got Hanma Boogie, suddenly they were starting to win. And it wasn't just that. It was that they were picking up on the fundamentals of basketball. They were training each yeah. Sunday. It wasn't about just getting together and goofing off. They really actually truly wanted to play right. that sport. Mm -hmm. And they may not know the technical terms. Right. But they know how to play the game. And even their plays are named after sea creatures. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I didn't know what a pistol shrimp was until this documentary. And now that I know, that's a freaky little shrimp. Yeah, because they looked up their mascot, you know, their team name by looking up aggressive animals. Mm -hmm. And pistol shrimps came up. And they were like, what the hell's a pistol shrimp? And it's this shrimp with this giant claw. Like one small claw, one giant claw that you can cock its, like, thumb back. You know, one of the yeah. pincers. Cock it like a gun, basically. And then release it, and it creates a sonic boom mm -hmm. underwater. And actually will send, like, a bubble like projectile and can whatever stun. yeah it can break glass of an aquarium oh yeah they're little things yeah. and so it's quite frightening really it is when i saw one in action i'm like what the fuck that is a nightmare yeah it just cocks its little claw and then releases and it actually disturbs submarines mm -hmm. they can hear it and over, they're little like sonar and stuff you, you know yep. how big shrimp are guys yeah they, they're little Tiny little shrimp, and they just... They can break aquariums! ...are super man. dangerous. But, yeah, some of the other names, like the Princess Layups, that's one of my favorites. Yes. The Misdemeanors, that has the badass from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Stephanie there. Stephanie Beatrice. Beatrice. She's also one of the dance girls. Oh, the super hot dance girls mm -hmm. with the really sexualized dance routines <laughs> for yeah. this community basketball team. Mm-hmm. It's like really suggestive dance moves, it's, which is funny because on the podcast, they'll do play by play for the dancing, the dancing as well. Yeah. 
Let's see. The L.A. Nail Clippers. Yes. The Badunkadunks. Mm-hmm. The Blouses. The Lisas, which are actually short for the Lisa Franks. And they have mm-hmm. a unicorn coaching them. Yeah, he wears a unicorn outfit. That's yep. not a joke. What else do they have? The Alley-oopsies. The Alley-oopsies. <laughs> Face glam. Oh, was it the Kirsty Alley-oopsies? I think it was the Kirsty Alley-oopsies. The Kirsty Alley-oopsies. 26 teams. Yeah. And they were all inventive names. Every yep. single one of them. Yep. All kind of puns about being women. Not necessarily. Well, so, yeah, a lot of them. Most of them, probably, because the Pistol Friends really aren't, but they were one of the first. The Chicago Bears. Yeah. Or Cubs. Uh, Bulls. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Chicago Bulls, yeah. Is it? Was it the Bulls or was it the Bears? It was the Bulls. Okay. Because, yeah, they were talking about the, the Bears in the, the podcasting, bears. which was the funny. The Bears. Yeah, I got, I get confused easily because heat exhaustion. Yeah, she's still at her work, not with air conditioning. Six weeks. And it's like, you're sentenced to the hot box at some prison. That's like that episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine that I fucking hate so much. Yeah, or Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. Getting sent out to the hot box. Anyway. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I very much enjoyed the documentary. Got to learn more about all the players, like Jesse Thomas, their point guard, who's amazing. Yes. And I remember listening to... The game where she was on fire. She could not miss. And in this league, I think if you hit 25 points, you can't score anymore. They just block you out, and so you have to start passing it. And I think I remember remember them saying that. It's, oh, she's not shooting anymore. She must have reached her limit and just start passing the ball. And yep. then the time where she wasn't feeling well, and they lost that game during the season where they were undefeated up to that point. Well, you know what else happened? Aubrey Plaza, Oh yes. after the last game, decided to stay, put on a weird wig, and play on her sister's team. Uh-huh, which was against the rules. Yeah, and she she did it anyway, and she tore her ACL. The thing that was really annoying is, like, you didn't have to do that, and you shouldn't have done it, yes. because it was against the rules anyway, and it's somebody else's team. Should have been for your team, honey. And now you've learned your lesson. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else about it because she knows what she did. She and, regrets it. Yep, she paid for it. That's yeah. for sure. So. And she was, yeah, out for a while. Yeah, well, it was like, gosh, months and months before yeah, right. she could play again. Now, on the off season, they're having a golf masters at a mini golf course. <laughs> so all the players are head to head. Oh, I love it. So that's entertaining podcasting, the Pistol Shrimps classic. And now I know what Matt Gorley and Mark McConville look like. Yes. Which is great because I hear them a lot on Spontanea Nation. Yes, they're frequent guests because Paul F. Tompkins loves them from the Super Ego podcast that I don't particularly care for. I don't either. In fact, we'll talk about that a little, well, I'll talk about it a little bit. Yeah. In the point. Is that all about Pistol Shrimps? I think so. I think that covers the CISO thing for now. Okay. Well, then let's talk about something that we should have talked about last time. Oh, yeah. This is a very comedy-heavy episode of the podcast. Comedy up your ass, buddies. Comedy Um, special. Rift Tracks had their 10-year anniversary. Now, Rift Tracks is Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy, who were... The final three on <laughs> Mystery, Mystery Science, Science Theater. Theater. They had their anniversary show, which was broadcast across the country in theaters. And they also had a Mystery Science Theater 3000 reunion. Yes, it was everybody. Everybody. 
It was Joel. It was Frank. TV's Frank. Yeah, Frank Conniff. I love Frank. It was Mary Jo Pale, and it was Bridget Nelson. Excuse me, Bridget Jones Nelson and Trace. Who his last name is French, and I can't pronounce it right. Is it Baloo? No, I think it's. Baloo. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Trace Baloo sounds Yeah. Right. And Did we say Jonah Ray? No, Jonah we haven't talked about Jonah Ray yet because he's the new he's yeah. the new Joel slash Mike. Yeah, and he's so busy writing for Mystery Science Theater. Oh, speaking of, he's got a CISO show too called Hidden America. I know about that. I haven't seen it yet, but I know about it. So that's something we should catch up on as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, because I've seen screenshots from it and he's tweeted stuff on Twitter and I just I love Jonah Ray. He's so tall and he's so adorable. <laughs> yep. And he's, he's so awkward. I love him. He's a good choice because he kind of has that laid back quality that you want from one of the mm-hmm. satellite of love guys. You know, the satellite of love human. Is... He, you could tell he was terribly nervous that night. Oh, yeah. Because he's like, I feel like an imposter. But that's typical of creative people who feel something's really important. Mm-hmm. And it a is lot of really important to have him. that imposter complex. Or it's yeah. like, oh, any moment now, the veil will fall and everybody will realize who I am. He he was literally the tallest person there. Yes. He is super tall. He's like, what, six foot five, something like that? Yeah, he's, he's super, super duper tall. tall. I love him. Did I mention that I love him? <laughs> because I love him. They were uh, broadcasting from Minnesota. Yes, and they had and, their home uh, crowd. And Minnesota crowds are... Very passive aggressive. <laughs> they, they can they can be they can be passive aggressive. So yeah, you know? playing for a home crowd. What I loved about this reunion event was that they focused on the shorts because they wanted everybody to be involved. Yes, and I love shorts. Everybody loves shorts. That's my favorite thing. Mystery Science Theater does mm-hmm. is the shorts. And they had a bunch of them, the greatest hits, basically. Yes, they had a variety of shorts from different periods, and they were unbelievable. <laughs> More dates for K. Oh God. More dates for K. Possibly was one of the creepiest shorts we have ever seen. Extremely creepy because it was about this girl who would basically do anything, anything to get a guy to be like tutoring somebody's brother to get in there. Yeah, basically pretend that she liked things she didn't and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. You are going to get <laughs> raped. <laughs> she'd walk into a classroom and sit right next to a guy and give him this look and it's like oh wow vampires can travel in daylight <laughs> yeah and, well one of the lines was I thought you had to invite a vampire <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> it's just and just oh. her sexual predatory nature is just disturbing it was one of the creepiest things I yeah, have she, ever she seen she was definitely on the make uh, shake hands with danger Oh my god, that's uh, so funny. Caterpillar, the tractor company. Yes. Just well, with their safety. backhoes, yeah. bulldozers, etc. Construction equipment. This was their safety video, and it had a lot of ridiculous scenarios of people falling off tractors or. Losing limbs. Like reaching into a thing. Getting killed. <laughs> running into a building because they, they, you know, released the clutch, basically. And or, the, or they thought, oh, well, I don't need to turn the engine off. I know what I'm doing. Yep. I've done this a million times, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and that thing goes running on without them. The guy who sheared off his fingers when he was uh, supposed to have safety gloves on while he was uh, working <laughs> on this bolt. And, yep. yeah. Of course, they were all stunts and special effects, but dear God, some of them were just like, <laughs> oh! And it had this really outlaw country vibe to oh, it with Jesus, the music. That was so bad. Shake hands with danger. 
<laughs> yeah, God, it was so bad. And the one with the talking cars in the kids' dream. Oh, that was so disturbing. So wrong. All about Safety. safely crossing the street. Yeah. Because he ran out after something. A ball. Like a ball, yeah. Mm-hmm. The one where... They made themselves visible, and they showed the guy behind the wheel, and he looked like a complete pederast. He was like, <laughs> yeah. he was looking at these kids like, "Hello, Hello. kids." It's like, Ugh. I got some candy for you. Yeah. Do you need a ride? <laughs> yeah. oh, there was the Kitchen of the Future one. Oh my god, that was so funny! I had the dad from Christmas Story. Yep. <laughs> Who couldn't do a thing in the kitchen because he couldn't make anything work. Well, he also apparently couldn't read instructions. Couldn't even open a cupboard because it would jam. Yeah, I laughed so much. The funny thing, outside of the actual show, when we pulled into the parking lot, we saw Joe DiGennaro had just had parked nearby us. Well, I mean, he was there first. Mm-hmm. And had gotten out of his car, was walking in. I said, he's going to Mystery Science Theater. He sure was. And he was meeting Chris and Chelsea there. When we came out of the theater... Joe was parked across from us, but he didn't see us when we pulled in. And Chris and Chelsea were parked right next to us. We (laughs) all arrived at different times and all parked in the same place. So we already had our tickets. I bought them in advance because I had a Fandango gift card that my boss gave me from a birthday that I hadn't used all of yet. I enjoyed myself so much. Laughed so much. Loved seeing everybody together. They did a great reel of uh, the best of Riff Tracks over the last 10 years. Some of the movies they've done, I'm like, I really need to watch that with the Rift Tracks. They like actually, Avengers? <laughs> yeah. Well, all of them, really. Yeah. Um, and they've actually done some that they did on Mystery Science Theater. Nice. So, but with different jokes. The one that still cracks me up, I still hear it in my brain every now and then. It's Actually, I hear it in Joe's voice now because we were talking about it after we had been to it. I think it was a scene from third stupid Star Wars prequel, whatever the fuck that one was called. Uh, Send in the clones. Revenge of the Sith. Oh, Revenge of the Sith. Obi-Wan's telling Anakin, be careful of your friend Palpatine. And your pal friend Palpatine! (laughs) 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 It just cracks me up every time. So much fun. They have an app now. Oh, yeah. That you can download the actual Rift Tracks part of it and watch it with your own DVD, Blu-ray, etc. So far, they only have Star Wars movies on there. Mm. Um, they have the um, the Holy Trinity, and then they have the Red-Headed Stepchildren. Right. That aren't really Star Wars, but seem to have the title. You know, it's like when your mom remarries and mm-hmm. she says, well, this is your stepfather now. No, he's not. He's not my dad. He's never <laughs> going to be my dad. That's not my Star Wars. Yeah, so <laughs> I am tempted to download one of them for the Holy Trinity and watch it. I hope it's for the special edition because that's the only way we have them anymore. Well, it's probably would be because the likelihood of them having copies of the originals yeah, are unlikely. True. Also, they are doing a riff tracks of Mothra, Mothra on August 18th, which is a movie I probably have not seen in about... How old am I now? About 35 years. Wow. It's been since I've seen that. I was very young. I was like seven or eight. I grew up on Godzilla movies and stuff like that. The Japanese monster movies. Couldn't get enough of them. They were great. Uh, So I'm excited for that. We're going to that because I said so. (laughs) Like I'm going to say no. I know. I know. I know. 
Yay! I can't wait for the new MSD3K to begin. I look forward to more from Rift Tracks. I can't even remember what network it's supposed to be on or uh, what streaming service. And uh, the new MSD3K is happening because of crowdfunding. Yeah, they got a lot of money off of Kickstarter. A lot of those people were given credit at the end of the uh, Rift Tracks anniversary slash reunion. Yeah. Yeah, Jonah Ray was one of the backers. That was the funny mm-hmm. thing. And so I got a thank you in the credits. Well, apparently several networks and online distributors were offering to have the show, so I don't know. They're going to have uh, guest writers like, oh, Dan Harmon. Imagine that. That's a cool idea, have guest writers on for specific movies. I'm so jealous. They're at San Diego Comic-Con right now. Seriously, you guys should come here. There's links on the MSD3K website of how to, uh, how to build your own inner roster. That's good. So, yeah, I still cannot find anything specific about where it's going to be. Hmm. Be nice if it was on CISO. <laughs> well, I'm just going to put in my email address for updates. I will, of course, uh, remind everybody that we got to meet uh, Kevin Murphy at Comic-Con. We did. A he was years ago. a great dude. Absolutely fabulous. Loved his panel. Yeah. It was one of my favorite panels ever. Just enjoyed just talking to him. It was one of the few people that you can actually just talk to for a bit. Anything else you want to say about the Mystery Science Theater slash Rift Tracks anniversary slash reunion? Uh, the Superman one was weird because I didn't realize how much it was involved with buying of stamps and oh my similar God, things. Yeah, that was so weird. It was it's like an advertisement for buying like war bonds and that sort of thing with Superman just tagged on top of it. Yeah, and he's doughy. George Reeves was doughy. He's that old strongman physique. Well, that's the thing about Superman. He doesn't really have to be muscular because he's a Kryptonian. Yeah. Just the effect of gravity and the power of the yellow sun is what makes him so powerful. You don't need a muscular Superman. Yes, but that's what we want. Yeah. He could be a scrawny little dude and just be super powerful. I'm I'm actually completely fine with him looking like Henry Cavill. Um, yeah. The thing that bothered me was how limp his cape was. It's, it's like it was attached to him by two thumbtacks. And it was it was hanging so far down in the back, you know. It's not like it was attached to his collar or anything. Yeah. So you could barely even tell he was wearing a cape. <laughs> Just well, but, it's like know. going back and watching the Incredible Hulk television series mm-hmm. and realizing how kind of wimpy the Hulk is. Oh yeah. All this great effort to push a car over. Yep. Ooh. He's a wuss. Uh, he's not a wuss. Um, <laughs> but compared to, you know, what we're accustomed to now, well, when that, he can leap like several miles. That's really how it should have been. That's yeah. how it was in the comics. Right. Anything else you'd like to say, darling? No, I think that's it. So moving on to the next comedy-related thing. Which would be... Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters! Okay. <laughs> I wanted you to say it like that! Because <laughs> I was looking at you like... There might be an, well, there is another thing we were going to talk about, but it's not comedy based, so I should have known. Ghostbusters! So. Want a new drug? No. Okay. Wrong song? Stop it. Okay. We went on Tuesday night because it's $5 night. Yes. Our local theater has a discount on Tuesdays. Yeah, that's why it's $5 night. Yep. Any, any show, any day. Any show, any hour is what I meant to say. And. Any day as long as it's Tuesday. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Okay. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Paul Tompkins. Shut up, shut up, shut up. No, you shut up. Shut up. On Fusion Network. If you can't stream Fusion Network on your local cable provider, check out their YouTube channel. 
or <laughs> anyway, editor's have... note no I'm... you shut up has been cancelled no <laughs> yeah that's the latest spontaneous nations anytime they reference it he's got to put in the editor's note it has been cancelled mm-hmm. you mean after season four no more I believe so though if they still have a YouTube channel maybe well Paul just puts down. it on his YouTube channel yeah. sons of bitches I'll have to watch those yeah with we'll, the we'll little hot that. dog and the, and the racist squirrel? Yeah, racist squirrel and a hot dog, and it's a political panel show. Where was I going with that? Yeah, Ghostbusters. So Ghostbusters! Um, See, I did it then. Now, if, if you are my friend on Facebook, you already know this. I'm going to get controversial. I don't like the original Ghostbusters. It's lukewarm for me. There's a couple of things that interest me. There's one joke that I actually laugh out loud, and that's the, where do these stairs go? They go yeah. up. But for the most part, I'm not the biggest fan of Ghostbusters, the original. Yeah, well, I, I'm i not really a fan at all. I uh, will not sit through it. And it's not that I hate it. I can't say that I hate it. But as a whole, I just, it rubbed me the wrong way because it was just so mean. You do not like Seinfeld. No, and the humor I don't. is very much in that vein of Seinfeld. And I didn't like Will and Grace either because I don't like that mean. New York humor. Right, which is Venkman to a T. Yes, and Venkman is a sociopath and a possible rapist. He's a major issue in that storyline because why is he even there? Because he's not genuinely sense. interested in the events. Yeah, why does he's why does he not, know these guys? Not a serious scientist. Nope. Why is he involved? I mean he actually has some kind of PhD because right. he is Dr. Venkman. Yeah, but it but... seemed like just a way to sleep with female physics students or something. Mm-hmm. I don't get his motivation. I don't either. He's just cynical. And that's all you really get from him. Egon and Ray and Winston, you can see what their motivation is. But Venkman's a mystery. Just, I don't like that character at all. Yeah, and a lot of people, that's their favorite because he's the cool one. It's like, he's well, not he's, cool. He's emotionally removed. He's carrying around tranquilizer wherever he goes for whatever reason without having any medical degree. He has the nerve to ask a woman who had a paranormal experience if she was ovulating. Yep. Fuck you, you yeah, misogynist, there's a misogynist dick. Yeah, altering the results of this test on psychic ability in order mm-hmm. to flirt with a girl, ruining the test. Mm-hmm. So I automatically disliked him. I loved Sigourney Weaver. I yes. loved her character, Dana. Rick Moranis. I loved Annie Potts. Right. Her name was Janine. Janine. In the movie. Her name's Janine. She's not just the receptionist. Ghostbusters, um. what do you want? <laughs> yeah, her. there's just a mean-spiritedness to the original Ghostbusters. And I didn't even like the ghosts that much. I mean, Zool yeah. was kind of cool, but very 80s. Well, Zool wasn't a ghost. Zool was a like demon. Like a demon or thing. Like a high demon. Yeah. Because uh, the the gatekeeper and the keymaster were lower demons. But yeah, just basically being in a leotard with the super short haircut. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's super 80s. Very 80s. Why did they have all this stuff? There was There was no coherent information for me as to why these guys knew each other, really. And maybe yeah. it's because I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I don't remember there being, you know, a cohesive story so much as just a vehicle for people, sorry, for Bill Murray to make jokes. Well, it was that kind of National Lapoon Saturday Night Live type movie where it was like this loose structure to have gags. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the vacation movies, they kind of have that going on as well. Let me just uh, say a disclaimer right here. I understand the cultural impact of Ghostbusters. Oh, of course. And I do not get upset about that. 
I am not bothered by that. I understand its importance. That doesn't mean I have to like <laughs> the movie, okay? I'm sorry if I, if there are people out there who love it and think I'm shitting on it. No. I'm expressing my opinion. Mm -hmm. That is a different thing. I'm not slamming something that I have never seen like Almost everybody did when they heard there was A, going to be a Ghostbusters <laughs> reboot, and B, that it was going to be women. I had my doubts because I feared it was just going to be a gender swap and there's going to be very gimmicky, but that's not what I got. No, that it's wasn't not the that result. at all. Okay, this seems like it's going to not be the best idea. Once I heard the casting, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> there might be something to this. And so, then when it's, what, Paul Feig, who can write a damn funny movie anyway. And Katie Dippold. Yep. Who wrote for Parks and Recreation, bitches. Nice. And I didn't know any of that as far as the writing and stuff like that. And I just thought, okay, those are four of the funniest women who are alive. So I will see what happens when it comes out. And the amount of hatred that was thrown at this movie before even the first trailer came out. Yes. Just stunned me. And then the amount of hatred that came after the movie trailer came out <laughs> also stunned me because I watched the trailer and I'm like, okay, so this is a trailer for a movie. Why is <laughs> there all of this hate? Now, I admit that a lot of the things that you see in the trailer are so much better in context in oh, the yeah. movie. They make sense. Things that did not make me laugh in the trailer made me laugh in the movie because I had the context. The theater was nearly full. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people that showed up. Because, you know, $5 nights are always a big deal for the Megaplex, and that's why they keep doing them. They make a shit ton of money. Yeah, especially on concessions. Oh, my God, Because the concessions yes. line is out of control. Because people just come straight from work, and they get their dinner, and they go eat it in the theater. Uh-huh. And that's fine unless you have stuff that's wrapped up. Unwrap your shit before the movie starts. <laughs> I do not want to hear you unwrapping. Open all your lozenges before the show begins. I was ready to enjoy this. I had heard good things from our friends in Britain. Because everything comes out first there now, apparently. <laughs> That's not a slag against Britain. I'm... It's a slag against the industry. Yes, it, exactly. And within the first few lines of the opening scene, they had me cackling. Yeah, nobody else was laughing because... They I weren't think listening. They weren't listening because it's all about this historic building and doing a tour and so the guy's going through all the historical items and aspects of this building and so i think a lot of people just tuned him out and were waiting for something to happen rather than listening to the jokes yes, that were written because he was doing it in a total tour guide way yep. but then he would talk about how this house had some of the first things that were seen in new york houses like this and that, and an anti-Irish security system. Mm -hmm. You know, and he would just say it so matter-of-factly, and it, <laughs> he was killing me! Yeah. Nobody else was laughing but us. Or Barnum and Bailey when he discovered he could... P.T. Barnum. Yeah, P.T. Barnum enslaved elephants. Yes, uh, it was in this room that P.T. Barnum supposedly came up with the idea of enslaving elephants. I don't want to spoil the film. Yeah, you should see it if you haven't seen yeah. it yet, because it's entertaining. I do find it interesting that people that we know who have expressed that they were disappointed or that it was just okay have all been men. There were people who, when we were leaving the theater, there was a cluster of guys up ahead of us 
they were talking about how it was just an affront to everything. It was, it just wasn't right. And I thought, well, then why didn't you get up and leave? You stayed <laughs> yeah. through the whole fucking movie. Yeah, you could get up at any time and leave. But you, you just want something to bitch I've about. I've sat through movies I didn't like before as well. So yeah, but they, if they were really that upset about yeah. it, they could have got up. Because Dylan Dog, I could have left at any time. But I liked looking at Brandon Ralph. Yeah, I guess that's true. But boy, that was bad. It was a terrible. That's movie. one of the worst movies I've seen. But I liked looking at Brandon Ralph. This is the thing that's great about this movie. Well, there's many things that are great about this movie. Number one, it pays homage to the original without being the original, but with just women. It is a different story. It is true. different characters. They're not just female versions with the same names. They're all different people. They're different. They have backstories. Yes, they all have backstories. Though one of them isn't the clearest backstory. Which one? Uh, Kate McKinnon's character. Holtzman. Holtzman. It's not exactly clear what her backstory is, but can kind of guess. You know, she's just an engineering junkie. You know, she's a grease monkey. Well, when you see her mentor yeah, during the credits. Post-credits <laughs> sequence. Not post-credits. Oh, that was during credits. Right. right. And there, there are cameos from the, from the living Ghostbusters. Uh, Harold Ramis' son was one of the metalheads in that scene. Uh, Harold Ramis' bust is seen in an early mm -hmm. scene. So there is homage paid there. The reason that the characters come together makes sense. The way that they start getting involved with this stuff makes sense. The progression of their technology is something you pointed sense. out. Yeah. And I like that a lot as they begin very basic and they work their way up mm -hmm. to the plasma guns and even the go... The proton packs. Yeah, the proton packs. And they go even beyond that mm -hmm. into new fangled equipment and the, i like that that they yeah. keep upgrading it's got that video game kind of sense to it as they level up after each event mm -hmm. and the ghost designs are super cool yes some of them were fucking creepy as hell the ghosts uh that were the balloons the balloon ghosts that are the classic cartoon style oh my god they were so wrong or we get a nice stay puffed callback kind yes. of homage thing um, which i found creepier than the original stay puffed absolutely they were very smashed, yep. as in literally they were smashed <laughs> by the Stay Puffed balloon. I just made eye contact with the balloon. <laughs> I find it more quotable. Absolutely. And laugh out loud funny, because mm -hmm. the first Ghostbusters is not a movie I really laugh at. I don't laugh at I it I might either. smile inwardly mm -hmm. occasionally. I never laughed out loud at that film. I yeah, saw it in the it theater and I didn't laugh out loud didn't once. didn't find it... it doesn't strike my funny bone. I was just uncomfortable through the entire thing. It's got that cringe kind of comedy to it. And just the yeah. mean-spirited New York stand-up humor to it, which I'm not a big fan of. Um, one of my favorite things, and somebody else actually, I retweeted this on Twitter. I've been much more of a presence on Twitter lately than uh, I have been That's in something recent I should do. months and years. Yeah. One person uh, used this quote, now, I don't know if that was a lady thing or a race thing, but I'm mad as hell. <laughs> and that pretty well sums up all of this unbelievable, unfounded hatred before the movie even was finished. Yes. And I thought, yep, I'm going to retweet that. I thought they were all brilliant. I loved Leslie Jones, but I love Leslie Jones anyway. She's so funny. She is amazing. And I like that she brought something to the table. Absolutely. With her knowledge of New York City. Yeah, she didn't just show up because... Yeah. Uh, well, she had an experience, yeah. Right. But the thing is, she worked for the MTA, with, and that's why she had the experience yeah. that she did. But she was, a, she was a New York City junkie as far as history. Yeah, encyclopedic knowledge about the city. Yeah. 
historical what used to be where and what was Mm -hmm. underneath and all of those things she was on top of that all the time so she really did bring something else to the team yeah to the point where she could be a folklorist technically because she has that extent of knowledge about the city while winston was just there for a paycheck there wasn't much else he brought there than that if there's a steady paycheck in it i'll believe anything you say yeah or want maybe that was the line (laughs) Mm -hmm. anyway though there was one thing that i didn't like and that was having slimer in it because i never liked slimer in the first place yeah and basically all the ghosts were Slimers, really. I mean, because it's ectoplasm. I didn't mind the ectoplasm because that was just something that was tied into... Yeah, no, that's fine. I don't have a problem with ectoplasm. Yeah. I'm just saying there's no need to have Slimer in there. It was just something that I didn't care for. a step too far. Also using the old theme that much. Because they, they had like three or four versions of it. Yeah, but... And it was a bit overkill. But they were different covers, so it wasn't yeah. quite the same. And I think there was only like two. Okay, because I remember looking at the credits and it was Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. And there are all these different mixes of it. Well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, let me get to my point. Okay. This is the thing, and I should have realized this before, but it took another woman seeing this movie and writing an article about it that made me realize it. At no point in this film do you see these women talking about shopping or their relationship with a guy or body shaming or uh, makeup or hairdos, or any of that crap. They're always talking about science and ghosts and friendships. Erin, who is played by Kristen Wiig, she has this understandable attraction to their idiot receptionist, Kevin. Right. Played by the unbelievable Chris Hemsworth. Oh, my God. Oh, well, my God. it's a nice reversal of the male gaze, you know, yes. to have her fawning over their hunky receptionist. Mm-hmm. And she knows he's a total idiot. Yeah. And yet she doesn't care because he is beautiful to look at. And he gets to have his own Australian accent, which mm-hmm. was so charming. So stupid when something's too loud, he closes his eyes. Yeah, he rubs his eyes. Oh, that, that was so loud. <laughs> and just would never answer the phone. Yep. It's like, Kevin, could you answer that? Could you answer that phone? Oh, the phone's in the aquarium. No, the one on your desk right <laughs> so, there. Because they, they weren't in a firehouse. They were in a former Chinese restaurant. A nice red herring as they first visit the firehouse. Mm-hmm. And then they find out the rent. And it's like... $21,000 a month. No. Yeah. Can't afford it. <laughs> Office above a Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. There are some really fantastic uh, kick-ass moments in the climax. None of them involve boob shots or butt shots or jiggling body parts. Well, we did get Kate McKinnon licking a gun, but that's, that's true it. to the character. That's true to the character. That's Holtzman. I didn't think it was sexual. It wasn't sexual. It was more like somebody might lick their fingers before exactly. doing something in a sports event. Mm-hmm. Or before a quick draw. Yeah. Gunfight. You know, stuff like that. So to me, that wasn't at all sexual. Yeah, they weren't really sexualized at all. And and if it was sexual, it was only sexual to the gun because she loved those guns so much. Mm -hmm. She created them. She gave them life. They were her babies. Yes. So um, in retrospect, I want to watch it again, having all these things in the forefront of my mind. Because being a woman, I just assume that this is the way female characters are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so when it happens, I'm not going, oh, my God, this is a miracle. I'm going, yeah, this is how it is. This is how it is. This is how women actually are. Of course, I've already pre-ordered it on Blu-ray. Nice. But so I enjoy it. I have fun watching it again. I will enjoy it and enjoy it and enjoy it and enjoy it. And and the credits are entertaining from start to finish. 
There's not a boring yeah. moment in the credits. Well, they do an homage to the Thriller video, and yeah. it's just fun. It's so much fun. Matt Walsh, another improviser. Yes. One of the founders of the UCB. He's in there. The guy who plays Omar from The Wire, he's mm-hmm. in there. Smaller part, uh, Cecily Strong, yep. another the funny lady aid. from uh, Saturday Night Live. The only clothing reference... And it's not even in that kind of female shopping kind of thing, but it's just a gag about uh, Kristen Wiig's tiny little bow tie. And they just make a reference to it because it's just funny. She's in one of her outfits. She's a physics professor at Columbia University. She wears really dowdy, ridiculous clothes that just are so boring. And it was Holtzman that makes that reference yeah because they go visit this museum and they're filming the event and so she does this close-up on this tiny little bow tie is that the smallest bow tie i've ever seen i loved it and most of the people that we know that have seen it have loved it and the toys are exceeding expectations as far as sales nice according to mattel And I remember there being a lot of articles talking about how there were going to be empty theaters and tons of toys on the shelves that nobody was buying. Less mature, like, you know, adult humor than the first one, which I found I appreciate as well. Because, yeah, there is the ovulation line. There is the, you know, Dana invites Venkman in and to like have sex and he's like well it seems like there's too many people in there already and there there's the ridiculous blowjob joke too in the mm-hmm. original that just doesn't it makes fit. no sense well it's part of a subplot that they cut but they left in that bit for some reason it makes no sense yeah makes no sense. so there's just there's some issues with the original and people say there's issues with this one too well what movie doesn't have issues yeah. what movie is perfect oh wait wait uh, Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> yeah. But that depends on who you ask. It's it's uh, it's an opinion thing, too. Mm-hmm. I The pacing on this new one is out of control. Yeah. Because it just goes at a really fast clip. But there's a progression. It's not like it's just action, action, and, action. There's and the action's really good. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what we expect from movies these days. The ghost apocalypse comes about in a different way. I call it the ghost. Yeah. Let's call it the ghost apocalypse. <laughs> the bad guy's pretty cool. Yeah. Yep, and I do enjoy You can him. see his motivation. Absolutely. Lovely bit part with Charles Dance as the head of Columbia University. Yeah, I nice. love that. I love Charles Dance. I can't say enough good things about it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And it's a good comedy. One of the better comedies I've seen. Yeah, and uh, good role models for uh, girls. Yeah, if they want to get into science or the supernatural mm-hmm. or engineering yeah. or anything. Any of those things. History of cities. <laughs> uh, they need to jump on the uh, the new Ghostbusters Halloween costumes. You need to start making those available. Because right now, the only Ghostbuster costume you can get for a girl is an old school Ghostbuster costume. And it has a fucking skirt on it! Oh, dear lord. <laughs> you are part of the problem! This one I could see cosplay. Absolutely. I want to cosplay as Holtz. I, I like the jumpsuits, the... The New York City Transit jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. That, that was Patty, um, Leslie Jones's yep. character that got those. Because it kept getting slimed. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> like, hey, put these on. Then, you know, you don't get your clothes ruined. Yeah. So it was an uh, actual... Practical. Practical thing. That was the thing I was trying to say productive, and mm-hmm. I knew that was wrong. Productive too. Brain. Melt. Brain. Melt. Yep. Melt. 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 Brain. Melt. You don't want to dark track this thing? Let's dark track this thing, If bitches. you can even consider this a dark track. Well... You know. It's a song. It's a song and a thing. Industrial, EBM, pop, electronic, 
So we have for you an interesting little song. A, a cover, I guess? Yeah, definitely cover. Yeah, because uh, it comes from the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Mm-hmm. It's one of the middle segments, which is Captain Laserbeam. Sometimes first segment. Yeah, really? Hmm. Because it has quote-unquote kids in it. Ah, kids, mm. right. Because you want the early one to be kid-friendly. That makes sense. And the setup is essentially it's a 60s-era superhero kind of series. Much like the 60s-style Batman. Very radio-friendly. It's like the Batman radio shows right. that they used to do. And as it's 60s, the original theme has kind of a surf punk vibe. Yes. And often the work juice players will be like twisting to it while they sing along yep. with it. But this takes like a proto-punk, it's still kind of that 60s, but a bit later era. Yeah. It's a kind of garage rock, proto-punk, the knack, the kinks, that kind of sound cover even with a bit of a British flavor on the vocals there. This is the kind of pro-punk style cover of the Captain Laser Beam theme song.
Yeah, it's got a long intro, and I know that bugs you. Uh, it, to me, 30 seconds maximum. If you cannot get to the lyrics by then, then I lose interest. Yeah, it's like, you might as well make an instrumental, because you should be singing by now. The only time that I forgive that is if it's something like Rush or Dream Theater, you know, like it's progressive rock. Yeah, prog rock. rock can get away with it, because yeah. it's almost like an overture. Yeah, because there's actual progression there. Right. Whereas this was just like... 20 million bars of the same thing, and I'm like, get started! Well, with something like Frontline Assembly, it's soundscaping, so it's like they'll start with, you know, certain pads, and then they'll add a beat, and then some other element, and keep building and building and building until they have a full song, and then the vocals yeah. come in. Yeah, and, and by then I'm done. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's like a minute this song is 30 never into the song. Start. I'm yeah. out of here, I've got things to do. That's why they're usually like six to seven minute long songs. Drives Which makes crazy. sense as to why Delirium would be about the same, because yeah. they do the similar thing in that mode. Yeah, when they're not doing vocals. But even so, some of those uh, Delirium songs takes a while to get to the vocals as well. But since it's kind of a trip-hoppy world music kind of vibe, it's a bit different, I suppose. But yeah, I dig that theme song. It is long for a theme song. It's like, what, three verses? Which doesn't seem like that long, but the verses are yeah. For a theme song. This is not the 80s where you have like a two minute theme song anymore. Yeah, that explains the whole that. story. Yeah, nobody does that anymore. Because we want actual content. We don't want to sit through a three minute theme song. <laughs> we want content. Matt Gorley and a friend of his actually write theme songs to non-existent television shows. Yeah, of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> that do that, that tell a story. Uh-huh. It's like... The whole Brady Bunch thing. Here's a story. Lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. Bam, bam, bam. All of them had hair of gold. Like, like the their mother, mother. The youngest, youngest one, one in curls. curls. It's a story <laughs> of a man named Brady who was busy with three boys of his own. Ba -da -da -da. There were four men <laughs> living all together. But they were all, all alone, alone till the one day when the lady met the fellow. And they proved that it was much more than a hunch that this group must somehow form a family. That's the way they all became the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. That's the way they became the Brady Bunch. Wow, an unexpected song from Randy. Sorry. Just sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip <laughs> that started on this tropic shore aboard this tiny ship. <laughs> I could do the whole thing. I'm not going to. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Once I start, I can't stop. Yes. It's really hard for me to stop. It's this obsessive compulsive thing where, I, no, I have to finish. I have to finish now. I started this and I'm going to fucking finish it. I don't have much information about the particular people involved in that song. I'm guessing yeah. it's the Work Juice players. Not necessarily. But I'm not sure. I don't know if that was some cover that was sent into them by some other people. It could be. But there was really nothing. I got that actually from a Thrilling Adventure release where they just kind of released that in their feed one day. Yeah, I know. I skipped it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know why? Why? Because it took forever for the fucking song to start, and I'm like, I'm bored. Oh, you got like 30 seconds in, and we're like, I'm yeah. done. It's like, okay, this is never going to start. I'm sorry. Bye. Yeah. It starts eventually, but yeah. yeah, I could do with a less long intro. Yeah. Because it does kind of push it to the point where you're stopping it. Yeah. Hi, I'm Mark Gagliardi. And I'm Hal Lublin, and we're the hosts of the new podcast, We Got This. Our plan is to provide irrefutable answers to irrelevant arguments. The final say on dumb debates. So don't worry. 
We got this. No topic is too small and no argument is too petty for us to tackle. You might be asking yourself, who are you two to make these decisions for all of humanity? That's easy. We're actors. So subscribe to We Got This on iTunes so you don't miss a single episode of us telling you what's best for you. Relax, the world. We got this. All right, shall we get to the point? I think everybody should probably know what it is. <laughs> um, we are going to talk about Game of Thrones. I'm kidding. <laughs> Had your phone. Yeah, we're not caught up yet on that one. Nope, we still have 11 episodes. Yeah, we're going to talk about the thrilling adventure hour. We sure are. Acker and Blacker. Yeah. Who met in college. Yes, they did. In the line to matriculate or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. One of them realized they had very similar names to one another. That's weird. It's like, there's been Acker, I've been Blacker. That's odd. That and, is odd. And it to is. think that they are both television writers is just odd. So, uh, if you don't know, The Thrilling Adventure Hour was a staged production and podcast in the style of old-time radio. It was held monthly at Largo, which is a Los Angeles nightclub located in the former Coronet Theater. And it ran from March 2005 to April 2015, although it didn't start at Largo. It started at a place called M-Bar. M-Bar, which is a bar and tiny stage. It's it's not there anymore. No. It's something else now. To the point where there was really not a backstage from what I hear. There was no backstage. Zero backstage. So everybody that was waiting to go on was at the bar. And so they'd have to run up and crowd this tiny little stage. Yeah. And the band was there and everything. Everybody was stepping all over each other. Each episode always featured three non-serialized segments as well as songs and commercials from their fictional sponsors like Patriot Brand, Cigarettes, and Work Juice Coffee. Uh, It was written by Ben Acker and Blacker, directed by Aaron Ginsberg. The show's original songs were mostly written by Acker and Blacker, with the composer and band leader Andy Paley, with the exception of Sparks Nevada's theme, which was written by Eben Schletter. Yes, who is the pianist for Spontaneous Nation. Yes, he is a very talented man. The roots of Thrilling Adventure Hour began in Ben Blacker's living room, where he and Ben Acker held a reading of their film script for a space western called Sparks Nevada Marshall on Mars. And that's where it all began, huh? Yep. Struck by the quality of the performances, they decided to launch a stage show with a radio conceit so that the performers had the luxury of holding the scripts not having to memorize anything yeah, or block anything. Often they'd only rehearse once if that. If, if they did. Yeah. And that allowed them to not impose too greatly on their actor friends uh, while maintaining a regular deadline for generating material and honing their craft and workshopping content in front of an audience. So the thrilling adventure and supernatural suspense hour began a five-year run at Bar in Hollywood in March 2005. And the original work juice players were Dave Gruber Allen, Paget Brewster, Craig Kakowski, Mark Gagliardi, Mark Evan Jackson, Hal Lublin, Annie Savage, and Paul F. Tompkins. More than half of them are podcasters in their own right. Absolutely. In episode six, Eben Schletter started performing live musical accompaniment. In episode seven, the show was joined by Andy Paley, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Add some additional music. Brilliant guy. Um, so Acker and Blacker and Paley together created musical content for the show, and Paley made an arrangement of Schletter's Sparks Nevada theme and performed the themes and songs with the Andy Paley Orchestra, which at the time consisted of Jolinda Palmer, Ben Jaffe, and Brittany Westover. Are, can five, four people be considered an orchestra? <laughs> I guess they can. A quartet. Uh, or quintet. So... In the eighth episode, the show was joined by Joel Spence, who is a Foley artist and actor. And soon thereafter, Aaron Ginsberg joined as the director. They really 
really struck gold with Aaron Ginsburg. Yes. Aaron Ginsburg was one of those people who's like, yeah, okay, that's fine, but this is what you need to do. <laughs> and he made things less haphazard. Right. Isn't part of his job just ushering people oh, on yeah. and off stage? Yes, just getting them on and off stage on time. For their marks? Standing yep. at the right place, at the right microphone, etc. And then shortly after that, Sam Levine, Danny Strong, and John DiMaggio joined the cast. John DiMaggio. Uh, Bender of Futurama. I love him. And then James Urbaniak, John Ennis, and Autumn Reeser. So this is all in like the very early days. And yet some people still tease Autumn Reeser about being one of the the later people. <laughs> it was episode eight! <sighs> The band Common Rotation made a guest appearance in the show, and then they started playing afterwards, after the show. Uh, so they were just stayed afterwards, but they became a common part of the show. Like, everybody would come for Thrilling Adventure Hour, and they'd stay for Common Rotation. Nice. Uh, and Mark Evan Jackson always hosted Common Rotation segment, which featured songs performed by them, as well as work juice players and guest stars. Um, there was a really, really long, 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 long joke. Mark Evan Jackson did with them. He would always want to play with Common Rotation, and they would always tell him no. <laughs> for and this this went on for like a year until it finally paid off. <laughs> listen to the podcast anyway. Oh, you're not um, going to tell that story? No, I'm not. Oh, bummer. No, listen to the podcast. Very final performance of the Thrilling Adventure and Supernatural Suspense Hour at Embar was in January of 2010 because they decided they needed to move to a bigger place. And so in March, they started their run at March 2010. Excuse me. They started their run at Largo at the Coronet. Paget Brewster was <laughs> convinced it was going to fail. She always is. Worst idea. But she's always very good about saying, I was totally wrong. Uh-huh. I was completely wrong on Any that. Any change is bad yes, for Paget. Anything. No, this, this is going to fail. <laughs> we always. can't change anything. It'll fail. This is a horrible idea. <laughs> And uh, so it shortened its title to The Thrilling Adventure Hour. And then in January 2011, it began releasing podcasts from past performances. Also in that month, uh, January 2011, they took the show on the road for the first time and performed two shows at San Francisco's Sketch Fest, which is a Janet Varney thing. Yeah, Janet Varney is one of the co-founders of that, and it's the biggest comedy festival mm-hmm. it's huge it's massive and she's always exhausted before it's over right and right yep. so I mean, yeah and she's always around that time getting phone calls and messages and stuff because there's a lot of production involved then in october 2011 the thrilling adventure hour climbed on board with uh, chris hardwick's nerdist industries i think that was a fantastic move because it really started getting it out there this makes me actually a little bit sad that it took this to get it. But it wasn't really until San Diego Comic-Con 2014 that Thrilling Adventure Hour exploded. Right. Like giant having an orgasm. I don't know. <laughs> um, Ew. <laughs> because uh, at San Diego Comic-Con, they did a live crossover show with the cast of Welcome to Night Vale. Shit went crazy. Right. Suddenly, everybody was jumping on board the Thrilling Adventure Hour train. And in return, the Thrilling Adventure Hour fans who had been there for years already jumped on board the Night Vale train. And yeah. so they just like, they became this ginormous community. <laughs> and they've done several crossovers since. Yes. 
that certainly wasn't the only crossover. That, of course, was not something that was released as a podcast, but it was released for sale on Night Vale's Bandcamp and also on the iTunes Music Store in October of 2014. But then at New York Comic Con in 2014, they announced that after 10 years of live monthly thrilling adventure hour stage performances, the last performance would be April 11th, 2015. And that saddened just about everybody. And a few of them have continued to do little bits, like yeah. going on tour or doing a thrilling oh, adventure they're offshoot. St- they're still doing that, like the one where they they did that show on a, on a boat. Oh, right. Yeah, they've been... They've actually been doing that on land. <laughs> I think that's the Jonathan Colton Comedy Cruise. Yes, Jonathan Colton Comedy Cruise. They also announced that there would be two new monthly comics, uh, Sparks Nevada and Beyond Belief, because those are the two most popular shows. Yes, it's like the beginning and end segments. And that started in February 2015. Before that, they did put out a graphic novel, which what is a beautiful book. Right. It's a beautiful hardcover book that even just the inside cover got all of these fake advertisements in it and nice. then inserted in there are reviews from comedians and writers and stuff like that. And it has all of the segments in comic book form. And uh, so they've continued with those things. Unfortunately, this happened recently. Image Comics was, uh, they were the people that were basically distributing the comics um, they had an issue of Beyond Belief that was unavoidably delayed uh, because of one of the artists. Don't know the whole story. I right. don't need to know the whole story. Because of that, Image said, okay, well, we told you you could never be late with any of these, so, and we, if you were, we wouldn't carry you anymore, so bye! Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that was explicitly stated in the contract, but right. at the same time, that's kind of stringent. Yeah, very much so, especially for Image that's, Creator controlled comics. Mm-hmm. It's all about giving control back to the artists. Like people in the industry that should have a bit more heart regarding that, that should yeah. be less corporate about things. But there you go. Yeah, so. Oh, I was never a big image comic fans any- fan anyway. They did a Kickstarter thing in order to get the money to do the comic, and they got plenty. Right. And one of the things that they were touting as a reward was that you would get a DVD of the Thrilling Adventure Hour concert film, which was basically a recording of one of their actual live performances. Yeah, a musical and number. It was, yeah, a musical episode of Sparks Nevada, which is one of the best Sparks yep. Nevada ever. We haven't seen all the DVD yet. There's also that documentary, the behind-the-scenes thing. On there. Supposedly there might be a gag reel on there, but I couldn't find it. Well, it might be in the documentary. It might be. But it's not in there as its own thing. Yeah. I have all four of the Sparks Nevada comics in digital form. I would like to have nice. them in physical form. Yes. I don't have the graphic novel in physical form yet. There were three Beyond Belief comics that had been released so far. This last one was released digitally only. Uh-huh. Because fuck you, Image Comics. <laughs> yeah. Um, Acker and Blacker have been really nice about it. They have not besmirched Image Comics at all. That's my job. Uh, Fuck yeah. you, Image Comics. Well, when it's a contractual agreement and you fail to keep up the contract, I guess you really have no quarter, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think that should ever have been a provision of the contract. Yeah, if you're ever late, we're going to no longer carry it. Yeah. It's like, well, give them some leeway. Yeah. So... There are over 200 episodes of the Thrilling Adventure podcast. Sheesh. 
And I listened to all of them in a space of three months. Yeah, you listened to more than I did because I skipped some of the segments because they didn't interest me. And that's fine because there were things that I listened to once and I thought, no, that didn't tickle my fancy. Yeah. Sorry, I listened to them once or twice. Now, this is, uh, again, an opinion thing. Right. And I'm not saying that these segments had no value. I'm just saying they didn't work for me. It's the same as the Ghostbusters thing. Yeah. Um, one of them that I could never get into was Moonshine Holler. And I understand that's one of the most difficult for them to write because it's almost Shakespearean in its language. Mm -hmm. That interests me, but I don't like the story. Yeah, I don't like the story and I don't really care about the characters. Yeah. And it, to me, it wasn't funny. I don't want to follow the lives of hobos. No. It doesn't interest me. I don't want to follow a millionaire pretending to be a hobo who's looking for his hobo princess and the possibly fictional moonshine holler. I don't, I don't care. (laughs) I want to care. I wanted to care, but I just, it just didn't do it for me. Right. It was very formulaic. Kind of like Captain Laserbeam yeah, can be Captain very... Captain Laserbeam. That bothered me with Captain Laserbeam at first is it's so formulaic. And even Akron Blacker say it's a plug and play. Mm-hmm. If they need to write an episode of something, it, Captain Laserbeam is one of the easiest because it's, you know, it starts out with him at a charitable event. Mm-hmm. He gets an emergency call. He goes back to his headquarters, talks to the adventure Mm-hmm. They all want to come yeah. with him and he tells them no. Yeah, they tell him what the big issue is. He goes there and... Fights the enemy, there's some kind of death trap, and then he escapes it using willpower. Yeah. And, and it's lather, rinse, repeat. Yeah, and I told you in in the beginning, I said, you may not like it at first. It can be really formulaic, but stick with it, I promise. It does pay it's off because it. it starts to subvert a lot of those things. Yes. And what they fit in each of those segments can be damn right funny, you know, it's especially so great. when it comes to the Venture Kateers, because it's. His little clubhouse of kids and their character types are just so funny in themselves. Like, Patrick is so beloved. Patrick's the most well-known adventure guitar. So it's Craig Kukowski. One of the editor's notes they gave him was just simply fatter, Mm -hmm. you know, with how he portrays the character. So he started breathing heavy and almost like he had asthma. He has a wake apnea. He's talking like this. Captain Laserbeam! Captain Lazerbeam! Captain Lazerbeam! Captain Lazerbeam! <laughs> and there's like girls that are awakening to their womanhood. and Well, yeah. I think wasn't it was either like one of the first or second episodes of Captain Lazerbeam that Patrick's little sister was there. Captain Lazerbeam, <laughs> do you like ice cream? <laughs> Captain Lazerbeam, are you married? <laughs> Captain Lazerbeam! Captain Lazerbeam! Captain Lazerbeam! <laughs> And so it gives gives the opportunity for all these players and sometimes guest stars to come in as as an adventure coteer. Or not even that. A lot of times they come in as the villains. Yeah, Yeah, villains as well. The puns. Mm -hmm. The puns in the names of the heroes and the villains, like Attagirl. Platonic uh, ideal. The fish wife, the platonic ideal is great. Mm, I love it. And how they use team-ups as a sexual reference. Yes. It's like... (laughs) What's the... The main girl. Dream girl. Dream girl, that's right. I haven't teamed up with Dream Girl in a long while. Mm -hmm. I believe she's teaming up with the Platonic Ideal. Uh, The Righteous Brothers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shape Ape. Queen of Haiku. Yep, the Queen of Haiku. There's like a trio of groovy 60s era villains. Daddy-O. Yeah, Daddy-O's one of them. Captain Cool. Captain Cool's the other one. And then there's the Queen of Haiku. 
Alright, Captain Laserbeam. And there's a particular henchman, isn't it Tyler? Yeah. There's like Tyler. this henchman that goes from place to place and he's yeah. like really good henchman to the point where like you got you should be in a villain in your own right. That's, that's so good. But yeah, Philip Fathom is one of the other heroes. Yeah, he doesn't Deep come on detective. for a while. He is the best. He is basically Batman. Yeah, Hal Lublin doing the um, Christian Bell era Batman. Mm-hmm. Doing the voice and swear to me! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the hero the sea deserves, or the ocean deserves. Here's a list of villains. Oh my god, this goes on forever. Agony Aunt, an archaeologist, angler management... And Frankenstein, Astro Assassins Union, Axeman, the bad guys, love it. Bee Napper, the big bully, big game hunter, Billy the squid, Bloody Mary, Bluebird of Unhappiness, Boston Angler, Bypass Surgeon, <laughs> Carrie Oakey, <laughs> Cat Burglar, Cat Man, Cat Woman Woman. <laughs> yeah, Cat Woman Woman actually made me laugh because it I was like, that sounds so lazy, but at the same time you have to think about it. Because it's a Catwoman woman. Mm-hmm. What? The Church Napper, uh, Citizen 100, Circula, Clownfish, Coral Thief. Yeah, a lot of these are Philip Fathom baddies. <laughs> They're all sea-related. Yeah. Dad Joker, Daddy-O, Deconstructor, Deconstructor, Devilish Dunce, The Dibrarian, The Difficult Man, Dirt Napper, <laughs> Dr. Holiday, Dragon Lady, Dunce, The Ear Napper, Ely Dan... <laughs> Another deep sea detective one. Elderly magician Ethel Mermaid. <laughs> evil Houdini, evil accountant, fair weather fiend, filth column, fishwife, forget me not, Foxy Burlesque, she was a trick. Giant Napoleon, Granny Smith, Gynoceros, uh, Handsome Devil, Hans Blowfish, Harry Smoothini, Helen of Destroy. <laughs> All <laughs> in the wall gang. Headmasterer. Headmasterer. Hurricane Larry. Hysterosaur. Ice Cream Man. Ice Queen. Imperfect Palindrome. <laughs> <laughs> Incan Painter. Incan Painter. Jacko Jacko Lantern. <laughs> Jacko Jacko Lantern. John Gory. Johnny Bedlam. Julius Seashore. Jumbler, Juvenile Delinquents, Kid Kidnapper, Kid Ragnarok, The Viking Teen, Killjoy, King Cool, King Mammal, La Cosa Nostradamus, <laughs> Lady Haiku, Landlubber, Little Drummer Boy, Loophole, Lying Dutchman, Madam Bomber, Magisterio, Major Minor, The Minuscule Musician, Man Scout, Mass Murderer, Medusula, Milton Badley, <laughs> Miss Behavior, Malviverse, The World Leader, <laughs> Mr. Octopus, Mrs. Troutfire, Negative Nancy, Neptune's Angels, Nervous Nelly, Numbler, I like the Numbler too, Octopus's Gardener, <laughs> Old Man, Old Man Baby, Ophelia Jones, Opposite Dave, Oysters Rockefeller, The Pandemaniums, Peanut Butler, Pea Soup Peterson, Penguinator, Penny Dreadful, the Professor Backfire, Protege, Purple Puritan, Queen Amphibian, Rampaging Ego, I'm almost done, Red Snapper, Reef Madness, Rhinoceros, Rosa Sharks. <laughs> oh my god. Whew, Scarlet of Horror. Sea Devil. Seahorseman of the Apocalypse. Shape Ape. Always a fan favorite. Sharkapella. Shrieking Violet. Shock Broker. Sinister Fiends. Sinner George. 
Space Face, Star Graving Gentleman, Street Magician, Sudoku, <laughs> Surf and Turf, Thug Boat, Tinker Taylor, that was Zachary Levi, Yes. Tomfoolery, Trainiac, The Urchin, The Waterfowl, Weatherman, The Wet Bandits, and Wild Goose. Which is funny because The Wet Bandits is actually from Home Alone. So those are all of the villains. Let's see how big the list of heroes is. It's probably a lot smaller. I remember Girl, Dream Girl, Platonic Ideal, Righteous Brothers. Oh, that's the Adventurers. I like it when they talk about him teaming up with multiple people and he's like, this isn't France. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Can't you team up with Dream Girl and the Platonic Ideal? Children, this isn't France. Yeah, this is a much smaller list. Here are the heroes. America Man. Anti-Anti-Claws, Girl, Best Man, Black Tarzan, Boon Squad, The Caribbeans, Carrot and Stick, The Do-Gooder, Doctor Patient. <laughs> so dumb, but it's funny. Dream Girl, Dynamic Dozen, The First Family. That was a weird one. Yes. The Good Guys, The Gollum, Great Scott, Guy Small, The Small Guy, The Homunculus, The Italian Battalion, The Itty Bitty Hitting Committee. <laughs> God damn it. That's Lady when they Justice. needed a smaller hero, and they are yep. listing off a bunch of them. Lady Justice, Little Hercules, Mighty Might, Mr. Marvelous, the top-notch man, Mr. Wright, Philip Fathom, of course, Platonic Ideal, Righteous Brothers, Robo Small, Scale Model, Short Attack, Sky Face, Space Midget, The Stygian Man, Swiss Army Man, Tiny Timothy, Universal Appeal, and The Cosmic Court, and Willy Wee Warrior. <laughs> Most of those are from the same episode where yes. they're listing off a tiny heroes. Most there's of them, a list of like a dozen of them. Yeah, most of them are mentioned and you never actually hear them. So you do hear Great Dream Girl and you do hear Platonic Ideal in one episode. Yeah, and the first family who are exactly that. They're like the presidential family, but they're also superheroes. I won't even go into the list of adventure gateers because then I'd have to read their descriptions as well, and that would take forever. Yeah. So, but it's... Um, I it's, do like the British one, whatever her name is. Oh, right. Isn't that Eliza or something like that? No, it's Elizabeth. It's Elizabeth because... Elizabeth. It's Elizabeth. You're saying it with a Z. <laughs> it's Elizabeth with an S. And her cousin, no one can understand you, Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. La la la. And she wasn't actually an adventure kateer. No, she was just visiting. First, I thought, is, this is just going to be the same every time. And then it wasn't. And that's when I thought, okay, okay, you've got my attention. Yeah, they play with the setup. And when they started having Philip Fathom, they even gave Philip Fathom a couple of episodes of his own. Yes. And I love Philip Fathom because Hal Lublin is a fucking genius. He surprised everybody when he did the Batman voice. Yeah. Because he's a fantastic. great impressionist. He is one of the best voice actors out there. Yeah. And he can do anything. I mean, he's done everything from Gummy in Moonshine Holler uh -huh. to Philip Fathom to, you know, on Which and on. he, isn't that the one that it's like a stereotypical black voice from like the 30s and 40s movies? And nobody does that voice anymore? And so he decided to do that one. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is a voice you don't hear anymore, but you hear him in all these classic movies, so I'm going to do that. He does a podcast with Mark Gagliardi that we got this, mm -hmm. where they just do kind of a debate of two things and which is better. And then from then on, that's the one that should be preferred. And he'll do occasional voices mm -hmm. and even surprise Mark. is like, I didn't know you could do that. 
He's amazing. He is absolutely amazing. <laughs> well, they'll just do an impression of somebody from some movie because they're both super geeks. Mm-hmm. And they just make all these references to the point where they're naming, like, the palace from Temple of Doom. Not just referring it to as the palace, but actually the name of the palace and the enslaved children beneath it. That's one segment. It's usually the first or second segment. It depends on the night, but usually it would be the middle one. It dep- Again, it depends on what they're doing. But uh, The first segment is usually Sparks Nevada. Yeah. Kids! Shine your Astro Spurs and don your robot fists, because it's time for tonight's first thrilling feature, Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars. And it's a great hodgepodge of different things, because there's little bits of Star Trek in there. There's a bit of the Lone Ranger in there. There's a bit of John Carter on Mars. Mm-hmm. So it's just this hodgepodge of all these different elements to create a space western, yep. which is funny, because Nathan Fillion will make guest appearances Yes. As Cactoid Jim. Cactoid Jim. Wild as a cactoid. Mayor of Mars and King of the Martian Frontier. They've even made kind of inside jokes about being the best space cowboy. Mm-hmm. I'm the best space cowboy. Me, I am. <laughs> yes. As Mark Evan Jackson basically playing himself. The way you described it to me at first is he does talk kind of under his breath. A lot. And mutter throughout the dialogue so like the bad guy will be just talking about his evil plans and all the while yeah, mark evan jackson's going that, that, that won't work that's, that's stupid okay okay whatever yeah, what, can we skip uh, can get to the end uh, wait what what <laughs> yeah right like that's gonna happen <laughs> all the while just to the point where akron blacker would write his lines unfinished because they knew he'd finished them Absolutely. And he'd even look down and go, that's exactly what I'd say right there. <laughs> like all his little weird interjections is like, oh, I would say that. But since I would say that, I'm going to switch those around. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Just to be me. He is fantastic at what he does. Now, that's not to say that he doesn't appear in any other segments ever, because he did have his own adventure cateer named Chris. Right. Who is like... Captain Lisa Babe, are you black now? <laughs> that was a great episode. <laughs> Keegan Michael Key was Captain Laserbeam. It's a long story. Yeah, and all the while people are skirting the issue of him being black now. Yeah, and a completely different person. Yeah. Obviously. It's like, so. Is there something different about you? I, I don't want to. And then finally somebody just out and out says, Are you black now? Yeah, it's basically like the Lone Ranger, except he's a marshal on Mars, and he has his Martian companion that's... Approach the tracker. Yep, he's half Tonto, half Spock. He is played by Mark Gagliardi. Right. And Of drunk history fame. Yep, he's brilliant at it. I love him as Croach. There is one episode in which... I think it was the time where he lived in New York for a year. They had an instance where I, do, I don't want to spoil storylines, <laughs> but let's just say Sparks Nevada was having a dream about Croach, and Croach was being played by... Wasn't he played by Chris, Chris Hardwick? Hardwick? Who did a good job. He did a good job impersonating him, and then he went Hardwick towards the end, which really helped the dream aspect of it, because mm-hmm. Hardwick can get really shrill. Which is why I think he does well as that master vampire in Beyond Belief. As he gets super dramatic and very arch. Now I'm going to feast on your guts! <laughs> oh, give me a second. I'm trying to remember his name. Yep. It's like... Dark Husband. Dark Husband midnight. to Midnight. To the Midnight. To the Midnight. Very arch and very melodramatic. 
and very lispy. Yes. Oh, yeah, he had a lift as the vampire. Yes. The Sparks Nevada theme song is the best. It's awesome. People may think it's long. I don't think it's long because it's the best. It's just fun. Yeah. And I'm from, from Earth. And there's one where Paul F. Tompkins was just kind of on the side just ribbing the whole thing. Yes. It's like he's he ripping was, it. He was playing Jib Janine, Jupiter's spy. Uh, yep. Jib Janine, an actual city in Iran, I want to say? Somewhere uh, around the Middle no, East? No, it's, um, oh, God. <laughs> Fuck. It's where his wife's family is from yeah, originally. It's in the Middle um, East somewhere. It's not Iran. It's not Libya. Where is it Libya? It doesn't matter. I can't remember. Yeah, it might be Libya. I'm so tired. Yeah. But, uh. Yeah, the Jupiter <clears throat> spies are shapeshifters, and there's a yeah. whole. The funny thing side is, their story. voices never change. Yep. But people are still completely fooled. Hi, buddies. Hi, my buddies. <laughs> um. The, the funny thing about the Sparks Nevada theme song is when they were at M-Bar, because Mark Evan Jackson is a trained improviser, and yeah. uh, basically once you do something, it's canon. So <laughs> for whatever reason, during the bridge of the theme song one night, he sang it in a kind of Dudley Do-Right voice, and then he realized after he'd done that, oh, God, now I have to do that every time. Uh-huh. And he did. Yep. From that point on... He sang the bridge in that deadly do right voice. It's the robot fists line, yeah. isn't it? On the plains of the red planet, I uphold the law, and I do it with a pair of robot fists. Pow! Evil exterminations I have faced for my robot rogues they hardly ever miss. There's also backup singers on that one. Yeah, um, and occasionally a cover as well when they have a guest musician on. Uh, I love the Sparks Nevada theme song. It will get in my brain sometimes at night when I'm trying to go to sleep. And there's one part where he's super depressed and he's barely singing it. Yeah. He's just occasionally you hear a word. Robot. Sighing in between everything. I swear I have heard And what sets Sparks Nevada apart from the rest of them? Except, I don't know if. Because I don't listen to some of them, but it's a narrative. There, it is a narrative. It's got installations, you continuity. know, each episode. Yeah, there's continuity. You can follow along from issue to issue as well, it it's, is. Well, it's like one of those serials that always had a cliffhanger. Yeah. Is this the end of Sparks, Nevada? <laughs> yep. So there's cliffhangers, and you have to come back the next episode to catch up on the events. Yep. And, and great guest stars like Joshua Molina. Well, as, Joshua was uh, Molina was a pretty regular character yeah. as the barkeep. Barkeep. I don't want no trouble in my place. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind trouble outside my place, but I don't want no trouble, trouble in, in my place. place. <laughs> you find out later that he's married to the troubleshooter, which explains why he doesn't want any trouble in his place. Yes. The troubleshooters are awesome. They're, they're tech they're, specialists. Yeah, tech support, but they're kind of like gunslingers in their own right. They're yeah. almost like the Texas Rangers. There's Busy Phillips, who plays the Red Plains writer, which I kind of have a love-hate relationship with. Yeah, I can see that, because she's, uh, she's, she's a pain, troubled. She's a pain in the ass, is what she is. Yeah, she's was an orphan raised by the Martians, and so she's got a bit of an identity crisis in her own right. Mm-hmm. And so is she human? Is she Martian? And she doesn't know her actual birth name. And so she has weird on and off thing with Sparks, a weird on and off thing with Croach. Croach. Uh, she at one point... No, I'm not going to talk about that. Spoilers. Basically, well, she gets around. She's involved with m- most of the main male characters in, mm-hmm. in the story. Yeah, and of course, recurring Nathan Fillion. I wonder if they meant 
for that to be a recurring character because Nathan Fillion was doing Castle at the time. Yes. So I don't know if they meant for it to be a recurring character, but it was so wildly popular. Right. Because Cactoid Jim is one of those people that is amazing at everything he does, but he's very humble. He's a humble version of Buck Rogers. Yeah. Because he's from, like, our time. Yeah, he went through a wormhole. Yeah, and he got he was an jettisoned astronaut. into the future. But he still got that Texan kind of thing going on. So very cowboy, but he's, yeah, very Buck Rogers and just good at everything. Yeah, but he's humble about it. Yep. When Nathan wasn't available, they'd get John Hodgman to play him. But because John Hodgman has this intellectualism to him, that there's always this idea that Cactoid Jim, when John was playing him, was playing a game. Like, humility was a put-on to make it seem like he's being gracious, I guess, and not actually authentically giving credit to the other person. Which is funny, because Nathan Fillion is so good at it that you always believe that he really the character really is that humble oh yeah though yeah. reluctant to go back home when he's given the chance which is kind of yeah suspicious. That, that was another episode in which uh, zachary levi was a guest star yeah yeah i know all the zachary levi episodes shut up <laughs> now keep in mind that there were times where these roles were played by other actors when the originator of the role was not available. But these are the people who most often played these characters. Linda Cardellini played Rebecca Rose Rushmore, whom I hated. Yes, romance writer. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, she wasn't a romance writer. She was a writer of uh, space cowboy novels. Right. But she'd never had any adventures, and she came to Mars to live the adventures she'd only written about. Yeah. She drove me crazy. Now, I love Linda Cardellini. You're like, who is that? Hawkeye's wife. Uh, Wasn't she Age of Ultron. the character racist as well? Like, she didn't she like was Martians. Racist. Yeah, she was racist, so that was a problem. I didn't like the character. The actual portrayal of the character, Linda Cardellini, was great. Yep. Then there's uh, so many women who are ex-girlfriends of Sparks, Nevada. Jenny Wade uh, played Mercy Laredo, <laughs> intergalactic bounty hunter. They were in Space Academy together. That's a whole other storyline is Sparks Nevada and Space Academy and his parents. Oh, yeah. Which is very Star Trek. Oh, and the murder men? The murder men, yeah. That they had a treaty with the murder men and they're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. How can you have a treaty with people called the murder men? They're the murder men. They murder and they can infect you. So you become a murder man. man. A reaver zombie sort of thing. Yeah, it was very much like that. Later on, we get the lovely Molly Quinn as Pimely Stalwark. Nice. She uh, was the winner of Punishment Soccer. She basically is the survivor of the Hunger Games. Yeah, she's Katniss Everdeen. Except she's way more damaged. Yeah, because she just watched all her friends die, her boyfriend. She killed her boyfriend. Yeah. Well, she didn't kill her boyfriend, but yeah, she killed the people who killed her boyfriend. That was for sure. I think, again, that that wasn't intended to be a recurring character, but the popularity of the character necessitated it. I don't know that for sure. It seems like it. It seems like it. It seems like if a character really hits, they'll bring it back. And then, of course, Craig Kukowski as Felton. Help! Help! Marshall, help! 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 (laughs) It's like everything's a crisis. (laughs) He represents basically all All the village people. The villages. Well, village people, but villagers. Yeah, all of the humans on Mars. Yeah. He represents them. We should talk about Onus. (laughs) Oh, Onus, um, why Croach is hanging out with Sparks is because Sparks helped his tribe. Uh, 
against a bunch of giant spiders, and the giant spiders, spiders of Mars, that's mm-hmm. a David Bowie reference. Yep. So it hits on many levels, this so third many writing. Levels. Croach owes this debt to Sparks. He hangs out with them. Yeah, in, he was assigned by their chief. Yeah, an unofficial kind of deputy capacity. Yeah. He never really is a deputy, though. He would have rejected it had it been offered to him, but he got upset when it was not offered. Right. <laughs> because he's doing this because of an onus. Mm-hmm. So he's got that Spock thing where he's not supposed to have emotions, but he does. Mm-hmm. And the longer the series goes on, the more clear it becomes that he's emotionally damaged in his own right. And he gets his feelings hurt frequently. To the point where at one time he's drunk all the time. Yeah, I love drunk Croach. I think everybody does. Because he calls people butt milk. Yeah. <laughs> you are milk that comes from a butt. <laughs> Sparks Nevada is fantastic. It's no wonder that it was one of the things that was converted into a monthly comic series. I hope that the comics continue in another format, even if it's only digitally. I really, really hope that they get continued because... They really have the voice of the radio play down in the yeah. comics. They really do. Oh, that's good. Does it even have the talking doors? Yes. <laughs> it has Because I love the, the talking doors. The Marshall doors. Station doors are open. It's like when the uh, saloon doors fell in love with Croach. The saloon doors are open. So open. open. <laughs> Shut up, he's coming. How, how, is my how, frame? how are my fixtures? My, my trimmings. <laughs> <laughs> The other big one. Beyond Belief. Beyond Belief is a wonderful suspense style. More for the adults. They even say, send your kitties to bed. And so it's this somewhat Twilight zone There is even, like on the Gentleman's Grand House radio site, you know, if you subscribe to all the shows, there's the suspense mm-hmm. radio shows. And it has that kind of thing, but... Usually that's an anthology and they're separate stories. This, yes, this is a c- continuity thing. Yeah, and there's something a little Adams Family about it, too. Like Gomez and Morticia, kind of the relationship of our main yes. characters. Yeah, well, they, they were kind of going for a Nick and Nora Charles feel. I can see that, too. Kind of like um, a heart-to-heart kind of thing as yeah, well. Yeah, but set in modern times, even though they're very... Well, basically, they are devoted to each other and to alcohol. Yep, so we have two socialites... Who are, you know, married and living in this penthouse at this famous hotel. And they are drunks. All the time. That's about all they do is drink and solve they supernatural mysteries. They don't go hunting for supernatural they mysteries. They come to them. Yes. It always happens to them. Granted, uh, Sadie's best friend is a vampire who is right. married to a werewolf. Yes. I'm a werewolf cop. Uh, that was the uh, <laughs> that was the first time I heard Janet Varney. Oh, Janet Varney's amazing. As... Legend of Korra. But yeah, she's her vampire buddy. Beyond Belief is one of those things that you thought, oh, this is, this whole drinking thing is going to get old. But they are so inventive with it. There's puns about drinking all the time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll come, they flank you and hit you yes. from the side. Like when Paget, Who is a fucking genius. Yep. Who's basically invented her own accent oh, for yes, this absolutely. role. It's an accent that does not exist anywhere else. Is that she'll be reading a letter and say, well, I need my glasses. Okay, now that I drank those, can you (laughs) you Mm -hmm. hand me the letter? So you're thinking, oh, I thought she was meaning reading glasses or when they were talking about sidecars and a sidecar to a motorcycle and a sidecar being a drink. But yeah, they uh, 
manage to do drinking puns galore. And each time, you know, they'll do, they'll clink their glasses. Who cares what evil lurks in the hearts of men? And that's evil's carrying the martini tray, darling. <laughs> and Paget and her lists. And oh, Sadie lists. Doyle. Oh my god, Sadie Doyle. The oh safari one. Which... Safari. I, it's like a crowd favorite, but it's, I have a hard time with it because it's your heroes out killing animals mm-hmm. for fun. And it's just like, I don't know where I sit on that. She's listing off all the animals she'd like to shoot. A lion. A giraffe. A giraffe. <laughs> a baboon. Oh, oh, oh no. A rhinoceros. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no. <laughs> and it goes on forever. And the longer she goes, the crowd gets wilder and wilder. I don't even know which episode that they first had her read a list of things. But once they heard it, they knew that they had to do that as much as they could without beating it into the ground. Yep. And so you don't get it super often, but when you do, it's always worth it. It's like once every three episodes or so, you'll get a list. And all the other players, they have their favorite word of hers, like, Dinosaur! (laughs) Sasquatch! Sasquatch! Chupacabra! First baseman! No, first baseman and second baseman! Third baseman! Shortstop! Shortstop! (laughs) Yeah, um, she's... She's amazing. But she and Paul F. Tompkins have such perfect chemistry. Beyond Belief has had, has run the gamut on bizarreness because it's all supernatural stuff. There are a couple of times that it will freak you the fuck out because you're like, what the hell is this? Like yeah, the time some where somebody had, yeah, somebody had wished on a monkey's paw. I'm not going to ruin anything. Well, there was the one with the genies. Oh, I'm the genie of the bottle. <laughs> oh, J.K. Simmons, I love you. The setup is usually they're in their apartment late at night, just having drinks as they usually would. And no, not always late at night, but yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's the morning. They never know what time it is. They, they never know what day it is. Yeah. They never know what month it is. I yeah. always get the impression that it's nighttime just because it seems like that kind of show. It seems like a show that they play late at night. It's not, because there are so many times when Donna has to go out with her oh, umbrella, yeah, umbrella. Oh, so that she doesn't burn to a crisp. Or the dark husband of the midnight will yes. show up in the frilly parasol. Carlisle Ravencastle. Yeah, there you go, Carlisle Ravencastle. No, no, Raven, Ravencastle. Raven. Carlisle Ravencastle. Yes. Dark husband to the midnight. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was uh, it. So, yeah, talking about setup. Just enjoying each other's company, and they get interrupted by a knock on the door. And they reluctantly go answer the door, which is usually its own little bit of banter. Sadie will be curious as to what's on the other side of the door and just inventing things. Ooh, maybe it's a pony. Ooh, maybe it's a puppy. I'd like to see a puppy. Yes. (laughs) And so they open a door just to see if it's a puppy. Oh. Uh, or they might be expecting a delivery of more booze. Mm-hmm. That happens from time to time. And that's when somebody comes seeking their help or wanting revenge or something. Mm-hmm. More often than not, if it's somebody asking for help and they'll name whatever or whoever their problem is with, then Frank will go, Sadie, do we know us? So-and-so. <laughs> Frank is really reluctant to help anyone ever. Yeah, well, he had some bad experiences as a child. Well, he grew up as an orphan as well in with a bunch of Catholics and who taught him how to hunt ghosts and demons and mm. stuff. And so he resents them. But not for, just that. Let's yeah. talk about nightmares. Oh, yes. <laughs> nightmares the Clown. Nightmares the Clown. His first di- supernatural experience, which is basically the clown from It. Pennywise. Pennywise, yeah. yeah. Which they're remaking. Who cares? Yeah. I'm sorry. It's just I get 
tired of remakes of things I don't care about. I don't, it shouldn't bother me. It's just like, why can't you do something original and interesting instead of just rehashing? Because, <laughs> you know, I first felt that way about the Ghostbusters reboot, but they did something different and interesting with it. So, Well, what's weird is why it? Yeah. It's a weird book anyway because it has preteens having sex. It's just wrong. It's icky. It's an icky, gross book. I don't know what Stephen was thinking at the time. It's just... Yeah, it, that's gonna get eliminated in the remake, I think. Yeah, it's, I mean it wasn't it's just in the wrong. other. I don't way. know what the hell he was thinking. Because honestly, if you put that in, you can't. No, don't do it. Just don't put that in there. And to just, the point where it's like a key part of the plot, like they had to be adult to get rid of their childhood fears, and, and becoming is, adult was losing your virginity. It's just wrong. Virginity is an archaic concept that yeah. never existed. Stop it. <laughs> It's like he's writing it just to see how daring he could be and still get away with publishing something. Yeah. Anyway, let's go back to Nightmare's okay, the Clown. Okay, yes. Nightmare's the Clown. Who lives in a well. Yeah. Who appeared to three boys. Killed one of them. Nightmares is a recurring character. Quite a few of them are, like a succubus that keeps appearing. Yeah. Vampires that keep appearing. Genies that keep appearing. The old, the ancient one that gets uh, trapped in a lamp. Yeah, basically a Cthulhu monster. In <laughs> in one version of that sketch, played by Dick fucking Cavett. Yep, and when the invisible men are standing around, and they're blind because their eyes don't work. Yeah. <laughs> they're going, well, if... If he can move the lamp anywhere, then why doesn't he just move it off the table and then you hear smash? He's like, why did you just say that? (laughs) When they were doing the live performances, they would often do two rounds in one night. Uh And sometimes they would have different guest stars for each show. Oh, wow. So sometimes there were different versions of a particular performance that if you weren't at the live show, you, you don't know. With the DVD, the concert DVD, I got a little taste of that because I had seen the Beyond Belief about Rowdy the Roughhouser. Yes. Not one of my favorite Beyond Beliefs. No. Seeing Clark Gregg doing that. Yes. Because he isn't in the podcast one. And he actually takes on a physical, you know, it's not just the voice. Mm -hmm. He actually brings on this physical characteristic to turning into this kind of Chucky type doll. With any kind of live performance, there are goofs here and there, which are always funny, especially if somebody starts doing somebody else's lines. (laughs) Yeah. Or somebody is not doing their lines. Like in there was an episode of Beyond Belief where somebody was not doing their lines, and so they weren't on stage yet, and they were supposed to be. Paget Brewster started doing the lines, but the funny thing was, she ran to the other microphone that this guy was supposed to be at to do the lines. Uh, there's been ones where they thought they've missed a page, or they yes. might have even missed a page. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't think I'm on the right page. Yeah. That's that's one of those fun things about scripts. Uh-huh. And, of course, Acker and Blacker made a joke about how uh, sometimes they would just take a page out of somebody's script, you know, <laughs> like roulette. They, you never knew which one it was going to be. They'd take a page out of one of them, mix them up, and then hand them out. But, no, they usually emailed them. Yeah. That's what they did. I think if you ask most people, most people would say that Beyond Belief was the most popular one. But I think it's Sparks, Nevada. It's a toss-up. It depends on what you want. Well, they're I very like different. Yeah, a lot, but they are very different. They're very different. Yeah, there's return characters in Beyond Belief, but it's not really telling a narrative. You can listen to the each show as standalone episodes. You can't do that with Sparks Nevada, and it's just a different feel because you have the 
they're both got that little bit of melodrama to them. But yeah, Sparks Nevada definitely has got that space western vibe. While you have the horror suspense thing with Beyond Belief. Now, there were other segments that were less frequent. They right. were like the rotating middle thing. Some of these, a lot of these you will not have heard. <laughs> we already talked about Captain Laserbeam. In the early days of the podcast, there was a thing that was the Tales from the Black Lagoon, which was not done in front of an audience. Uh-huh. It was recorded and done with sound effects and sound stuff. Sound effects, I'm trying yeah. to, What's the word for that? A foley. Thank you. I have it on here, but I can't think of... Yeah, was another so film noir about the actor who played the creature from the yeah. Black Lagoon who was suspected he, of murder. He was accused of murder. Accused of murder, yeah. Yeah, he was accused of murdering Claude Rain's daughter. It has an adult vibe, and I think even some swearing and stuff in it, and it just A didn't fit with the rest yeah. of their content. It, it was an interesting thing on its own, but it really shouldn't have been part of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, uh-huh. I don't feel. Yeah, it's very um, unique and different from the rest yeah. of it. That one was weird. There was the Algonquin Four. <laughs> Is that like kind of like the Fantastic Four? Do the Hamel Smash! That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was very much like the Fantastic Four. They all had those powers. Um, uh-huh. The funny thing is, is that uh, Dorothy Parker was supposed to be. The one, I think, with the fire powers, and she said she wanted to be the rock man, and yep. so she got to be the rock man. I believe I'm her the rock man. editor's note was the stupidest. Yes. <laughs> yeah. As in, you're playing your character as the stupidest, mm-hmm. reading your lines as the stupidest. Really, you heard that more in the Crosstime Adventures of Colonel TikTok, which I wasn't a big fan of because of the horrible, horrible British accents. I know some people find that funny. Uh-huh. I found it painful, which is not to say the performances weren't good, but it's just, you know, when people are purposely doing a bad British accent, it just annoys me. Or they think they're doing a good British accent, they're not even close. Which is funny, because it kind of fits the era, because you'd think actors of that time would be so poorly trained to do a good British accent that it would sound like that. Quite so, but you that's how you first meet the Algonquin Fours in an episode of Colonel TikTok. Amelia Earhart, Fearless Flyer, is another one I found kind of annoying. And another time travel one. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is that it didn't start as a time travel thing. That came a bit later. Yeah. And I actually would have preferred that it just stay in, you know, the Amelia Earhart timeline, but... Everyone thinks she's dead. Right. So she's going around fighting Nazis during World War II. But it's not my business. I am not the creator. Uh, speaking of business, Bucatino business. Oh, the... Hi, I'm Dan Bucatino. <laughs> the Bucatino ads for business. Those have their own narrative to them. Yes. Dan Bucatino is supposed to be doing these commercials for Work Juice Coffee. Instead, he's slowly deteriorating through with these commercials. Yeah, There's a narrative of his life going to hell in a handbasket. His brother embezzles the company. Yep. His child is a dwarf and suddenly grows and then shrinks again. Mm-hmm. I think they like to be called little people. I don't know anymore what's politically correct. Well, dwarfism um, is the, I yeah. guess, the clinical term. There was another one they only did a few episodes of as far as the podcast, but it didn't really grab me, which was Desdemona Hughes, Diva Detective. She was supposedly the actress of a thousand faces. Oh, I heard one of those and I did not like it. No, I was not entertained. So I never listened to any of the rest of them. We also already talked about Down in Moonshine Holler. How about Ace American? Jefferson Reed, Ace American. That was actually the first time I heard Nathan Fillion on that podcast. 
uh, was just Jefferson Reed. Shameless propaganda Absolutely. during the Second World War, pro-American, mm-hmm. anti-German, to the point where they're always saying, Kraut! <laughs> yeah. That dirty Kraut! That dirty Kraut! And the sidekick always dies. The sidekicks are always children, male yep. children. Yeah, it's like the Bucky Barnes thing. Absolutely. You're bringing children into a war zone and they die. Yeah, which is why when they did the Marvel movie version that they made Bucky an adult, because otherwise that just would have been weird and wrong. And bringing a child into war-torn Europe. Then there's Yumbo the Elephant. <laughs> so weird. Based on a weird side Christmas story from a Christmas episode. They did a couple of those. Really uh, weird. Really weird. Yeah. It's an all-animal uh, jazz combo. Surreal. Yumbo. Tales of the United Solar System Alliance. Mm. And that was kind of a side story that got introduced in a Sparks Nevada episode. Because Sparks Nevada's dad is like an admiral in the Which United is weird, Solar they System Alliance. Have weird laws like you have to be married and both on the same ship. Yeah, it's like if you want to become an admiral, you have to be married. In the one where the the captain was married to the, it, he had been the doctor, but he couldn't be the doctor anymore because he had to be promoted because he was married. To, yep, it was so weird. Yeah. Oh, that. One with the murder man, that was a dark episode. That was so dark. There was That went in really dark directions because it involved Red Plains Rider and Cactoid Jim. Oh, wow. That was <laughs> and just technically, wild. Child Murder, even though it was a mercy kill, is like, holy crap, that's dark. Well, she was a teenager. Yeah. It's not like she was a little girl. Yep. But even so. The War of Two Worlds, which was a crossover improvised thing with Super Ego. I hated this. I could see that I, because you're not a fan of Super Ego. Hey, well, I didn't even know who Super Ego was until this. I listened to three episodes and I'm like, this is a mess. I can't listen. I can't do this. Yeah, Super I Ego's improv is a bit too chaotic to my taste. And I know a lot of people loved it, but I just lost patience with it very, very quickly. And I just didn't care. I wanted to care, but I didn't care. And I apologize to anyone who really enjoyed it. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. It just rubbed me the wrong way. A lot of the things that we will never hear or see were a lot of the commercials for the fake sponsors. Ah, yes. You do hear a few for Patriot brand cigarettes and, of course, the Dan Bucatino ones for work juice coffee, which they almost never get to the work juice coffee part until the very end. Keeps me from crying. (laughs) Oh, King um, Coffee. The few times King Coffee would show up. Yeah, he usually showed up in the work juice coffee commercials. Uh, but not always. Yeah. Always played by Paul F. Tompkins, though, who decided he would wear a crown and a cape for these things. <laughs> he decided that. And then, of course, Patriot brand cigarettes, which some parents apparently objected to having those commercials. Um, it's fake. Yeah. It's... And they're poking fun of the era in which they advertised yeah. cigarettes, especially when doctors would. This would be a good opportunity for you to explain satire to your children. <laughs> If your children listen to this podcast, then they will need to know what satire is. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there were Patriot Elites, which were a line of Patriot brand cigarettes for the wealthy. Justices on the Supreme Court. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, there was another one called Sweetie Pie Cakes, which I don't recall ever hearing an actual I ad for. I don't recall hearing one either. There was a lot of stuff that would happen at the live show that never made it into the podcast, because really all you'd get in the podcast would be the segments. Yeah, and then they're split um, up, okay. so you'd get an episode of Sparks Nevada. Yeah. An episode of Captain Laserbeam, because they'd yeah. what, have the 
Largo show once a month, mm-hmm. and then the podcast would be like almost like a weekly thing. They would often give you treats of the entire Christmas episode from start to finish. Yes. Except they usually didn't do it truly to the finish, because at the finish they would always do the work juice theme. All yes. of the work juice players would do the work juice theme. There's also the April Fool's episodes. Oh my god, those are so bizarre. Yeah, well, Paul of Tompkins comes back as this trickster-type entity, like kind of a Q type. He's sort of like Q, but he talks with all of his O's are like W's. Yeah, it's like almost like a racist stereotype of somebody Asian. What was his thing? Whimsy? Whimsy. And something else. Yeah, and so he so started by pulling names out of hats to change the roles, so but funny. that wasn't working, so he started assigning it. And then assigning multiples, so people would yeah. have to be the same character at the same time. Two people doing Captain Laserbeam yep. at the same time. Uh, there was a lot of weird stuff. Uh, Hodgman that. being Patrick. There was one where Paul F. Tompkins and Mark Evan Jackson would just answer viewer mail. It's not Those are mail. fun. Those are always fun. Yeah, just kind of questions always. from from fans. From fans that were submitted on Facebook and Twitter and such. It was always entertaining because uh, Paul would just start start making up fake sponsors like Lysol Direct, mm-hmm. Quake Nuts. <laughs> and I think Mark Evan Jackson invented a couple of those too. Yeah, they were great together. Both good improvisers, so they're very charming while answering these questions. Yeah. And they did quite a few of those. Uh, they would often release podcasts, recordings of panels at Comic-Cons. And they also released podcasts of live performances at other places, like Comic-Cons and uh, theaters in New York and in other places in the country. It's a bonanza! There's loads of content on the Thrilling Adventure Hour iTunes feed. Like I said, the concert DVD gives you more of a feel of what it was like to be at the live show. Unfortunately, we will never have that pleasure. The Largo is a gorgeous theater. And it just fits for that because they dress up. Yep. And they put on a radio production as they would have done back in the day. Paget Brewster decided she was going to always dress the part and she would have all of these gowns for doing Sadie. She has a lot of clothes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that she has all of those gowns anymore now that she's not regularly doing Beyond mm. Belief. So she may have gotten rid of them. But Thrilling Adventure Hour. Who? It's back. Just listen to it. God damn it. Hey. <laughs> Okay. All right. Shout outs. Hey! hey! Our shout out is to Bill Avis, our fellow improviser with Ooh. Quantum Comedy. He's also a musical improviser working on his own thing. It was his birthday yesterday. Not yep. at the time of this podcast release. No. Nope. At the time of recording yesterday was his birthday. Yeah, and he's Happy birthday, done a happy bit birthday, to get birthday. us exposure outside of just the loft. So. Yep, happy birthday, Bill. Happy birthday. We're actually performing at Morgan County Fair. We are. In a couple of weeks. Yeah, crazy. We'll have to come up with some games and stuff. Yeah. Lots of audience participation type games. Yeah. Theme restaurant, columns, dub. Yeah. Don't think we want to do moving people or props. No. People as that props. can be always weird. That can be columns, always columns weird. Columns is tricky, too. Yeah. I don't usually like columns. Because unless you get people that actually just really speak. Yeah, because they got to speak, they got to say something that's relevant, and they got to not be dirty. 
Yeah, well, honestly, even if they don't say anything that's relevant, it doesn't matter. As long as they say something and it's not swearing. Yeah, because usually they'll just stand there and not know what to say, and so comms rarely works. Which is sometimes why it's funny, but yeah, I, I don't find that. I don't find it because it's cringe humor, and I don't generally go for that. It's it's the lowest form. I don't go for that. No. Anyway, happy birthday, Bill. Happy, happy birthday, birthday Bill. Bill. So my shout-out is to my little sister, Brooke, because it is her birthday in three days on July 25th. She will be 42. Ha! Now you are the answer to life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> yep. So She's well catching done, up you. to you. She'll never catch up to me <laughs> until I die, and then she'll catch up to me. And surpass me, because I will not age after I die. Yeah. Because Sunday is a state holiday. The 24th of July is a state holiday. But Mormons, who are responsible for this holiday, would not celebrate it on a Sunday. They have transferred all of the festivities to Monday, July 25th. So Brooke has that day off anyway. Oh, and I forgot to take it off. And I have it off. Yeah. You silly Billy. Yeah. I'm just going to get some hookers and blow. I just saw that it was on a Sunday and went, oh, I don't have to worry about it then. And then forgetting that they'd push the holiday to Monday. So. All right, then. Um, thank you for listening to this obscenely long episode of the Dark Corner Podcast presents the Thrilling Adventure Hour. True enough. <laughs> and comedy. And comedy. Comedy up your bazookas. I don't bazookas? know. Bazookas? Up your bazookas? That's got to be painful through you the know, nipple. I'm, you know what? Okay. I have spent this entire week in 100 degree temperatures in my office, so you can just back off, buddy. Okay, I'll step off then. Just step off, buddy. Right. We'll be back with our anniversary show. Okay, bye, my bye. Gentlemen's Grand House Records.com. Why are you doing that? Just stop it. Come on. Just edit all this out and post.